Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm-mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. It's good to see you, Eric. It is good to see you, man. It is, uh, it's a nice break in my week. Things have been busy, which is good. Work has, has come back a little bit despite COVID. But this is the part of the week that I look forward to every week. I'm excited about it. And by the way, I'm not saying that so that you say it back to me. I'm not, because I know no one's highlight of their week is talking to me. It's about middle of the road. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely things I look forward to less. <laughs> it is right there in the middle. It is just right there in the middle. Look, man, do you realize that today is, is today, the, the day that this is running, is it September 29th? Uh, I'm looking at the calendar. Yes, it will be airing tomorrow, September 29th. We are like 31 days away from the Board of Trustee campaign officially kicking off. What's the plan? How are we going to commemorate and kick off such an occasion? I, we got to talk. I got to talk to my consigliere off the air. I mean, that's you. We got to figure it out. We got a campaign song. We do have a, quite a few people who have reached out that said that they want to sign to get us on the ballot. Great. So um, I do want to talk to you about, I think we need to go to Bloomington. I did talk to Rabbi last night and he had said, you said something about going to Bloomington. I was like, oh, that's funny. Eric hasn't said anything to me about going to Bloomington. I, in fairness, I have said to you in the past that regardless of what happened with that fantasy camp, I wanted to go to Bloomington. Right, but that was like three months ago. So I know, I because thought, I get scared because of Annie. I get scared because of Annie. because I know. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, look, here's what I think we need to do. Indiana football is playing Purdue in mid-December. Mm-hmm. A, home, a home game. Okay. There is a decent chance that there is a home basketball game around that time too. Now, there is a very likely chance that we won't be allowed in the building for either one of them. Yeah, yeah. But I think we could have fun with that. I think we could watch the game live on a computer in the parking lot outside the stadium and outside of Assembly Hall. We could. And we kick off, and, and that becomes our big campaign kickoff event. We do a drive-by thing, tell people they can just drive by in their cars and do a virtual air handshake, kiss the baby, uh-huh. run for office. Yep. I think we should do that. Can you get Annie to approve that? She would absolutely approve all of that stuff uh, on Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> no, we got, I, well, listen. I'm going to Bloomington. Okay. You need to be with me. But if you're not with me, you'll be there. We'll do it virtually on Zoom. But I think 
I think you could talk to Annie and convince her. I was about to say, I think we could talk, but I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Why, why would you put yourself through that? You, you have a, a, enough ladies to please in your life. As yeah. No kidding. Going to Bloomington. It's so much. It's like 99% of it is, is truly interacting with people. And I just, they're open, dude. This ain't California. They're open. Yeah. But I, I also don't want to catch COVID. Oh, well that's, well, look, what if we just, we go full hazmat? That, that would be comfortable. We just go full hazmat and we, just, we like, look like astronauts. Yeah, if we could get some Indiana signage on the hazmat suit. Sure. That should be easy for us to supply because we're powered by... This is for all of you who hate the siren call. Be... Checking his watch. Texting on his phone. I don't know if he's really texting or just pretending to text. Pretending to speak on his phone. I think he's increased his breath capacity. That that. I should start timing those. The haters, the haters just fuel me to want to do it longer. That, that is what they don't understand. They tell us they hate it, and I just want to do more of it. Uh, I should start timing it, at least. We could make oh. a, a sport out of it. We could- We should keep, have a record, yeah. Keep increasing your, uh, your benchmarks to clear. And then, and then that way, I, also, I know exactly when we have the skip button, how long to program it for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're working on that. We've got our engineers on it. Um, look, there's nothing really to report, honestly, in basketball and football. Football's just gearing up for the start in, in a few weeks here, which is awesome. Basketball? Yeah, I'm looking at, you know, they're back practicing now, as we know, and reading Mike's inside the locker room on Friday. And I'm just looking at those core, what, sort of, it's Trey, it's Mason Miller and it's Aminu, right? And yes, that's we're, it. We're right there with all three of them, and we just continue to be. I don't believe we're there with Aminu. No, mm -mm. I'm not saying I know anything. I'm just saying I don't believe it. Well, it's just been so consistent now for a long stretch that even if you're not putting them in that group, I'm just like, gosh darn it. I think we could get two out of those three guys. And with Aminu, I think it's really about the G League equation. But it sounds like Archie has a really nice rapport with his guardian. And maybe when they start to factor in some of those uh, value ads that Indiana brings of just like, hey, you're going to have a whole state looking out for you if you come here. And, oh, we're really cutting edge with the name, image, and likeness stuff. It's not feeling too out there like maybe I would have thought a couple months ago to get two out of those three guys. And that's about all I have to hang on right now, besides the fact that these, these talking heads and, and pundits keep putting us in like the top 20. And I just, I really want to believe them. So I am. No matter what you're about to say, I'm, I will still hang on to that. Look, I, I, I guess I would say the only reason I have to not believe them is we haven't seen it. So mm -hmm. until I see it with this 
staff and these core players, I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to get my hopes up. I got my hopes up before last year. I thought last year we were going to turn a corner. And uh, even though we progressed incrementally in a lot of areas, we decreased in some areas that matter the most, like actually winning games. And uh, we didn't win enough games in conference. And I am, look, I look at the schedule this year. Look, the cap is what, 27 games, right? That's what they said that you can't, but if you're in a tournament, it counts as one game. Oh, okay. I think so. If you're, if you're in one of these exempt tournaments, I believe that counts as one, but we're probably going to, there's going to be 20 big 10 games. We have an ACC big 10 challenge game that will most likely remain on the schedule. That's 21. The Crossroads Classic most likely will remain on the schedule. That's 22. And then the Maui will remain on the schedule. That's 23, but really 23, 24, 25. I don't think Indiana's going to want to play more just from a schedule standpoint than 27 total games. Sure. So maybe there's two cupcakes on the, on the schedule. It is a hellish schedule, any way you look at it. It is going to be – and the Gavit games is probably going away. How does your family feel that you're taking them for a nice family vacation to Asheville? Yeah, I know. Man, (laughs) I'm sure many people are like this out there. Like, we were going to – my family does not go on vacations. We we just don't. Our vacations have historically been to one of two places, Bloomington, Indiana, or or surrounding areas where Mandy's family was to visit the family, or St. Louis, Missouri, where my family is. We just aren't good at taking vacations, and that is a – that's not good. I wish I would have been better at that for the first – 13 years of my son's life. But we've decided, even with our, you know, somewhat unique living situation, we were going to travel to Hawaii and go to Maui and go to the tournament. And even uh, Holly was going to come. So it was going to be a big group thing. There was going to be a whole special episode of their podcast about that vacation, I'm sure. Exactly. And it's not happening. And so obviously no fans are going to be in the Asheville arena for, for Maui. And it sucks because I... I was excited to do that. But back to the point, the schedule, look, from a fan's perspective, I love it because every game, Ward, with maybe the exception of two, every game is going to be meaningful. Every single one is going to be a a way for us to prove have we turned the corner. And that's exciting. I mean, that is really exciting. And, uh, And unlike football, you know, I mean, football, normally you play, what, 13 games, right? Something like that. Mm. I think it is because I think you play four non-conference games and eight conference games and then one bowl game. Well, now we do. Yeah, exactly. So my point is, though, they're going from potentially playing 13 games to potentially playing like nine games. That's a huge decrease percentage-wise. Basketball's going from playing like, what, 32, 33 games to 27 games. It's not as big. It's not a big percentage. So That's why I really don't mind a few early on where we just – whack somebody's ass because who knows what's going to happen after that just let me feel good after a few games for sure early in the season before reality comes crashing through but I take your point and I look I'm I'm ready year four to take our place at the table with all the big boys night in night out expect of course we're going to lose some but I just want to see us compete in every one and feel like we belong in every game yeah, I, it's funny. You talk about those games early on. I agree. I usually historically have gotten excited about those games because you get to see, like, what does this team look like at its peak, right? Where 
you get to run the offense you want to run. Your defense is clamping down. But we, I haven't had that feeling, even watching us in these cupcake games. We tend to play down to the level of our competition. Even when we win by 25, we have not looked good. I think it is certainly less the case with Archie and his teams of playing down to the competition like it was before he showed up. I feel more confident in those cupcake games that we're going to win. And you, like a season or two ago, you agreed with me on this. You were like, yeah, it's not as scary to go play one of these teams we should run out of I agree on winning and losing. I don't agree on how good we look. I don't think the Archie teams have looked good outside of a few games. It's just, it's ugly. I mean, look, the Tom Crean teams, for everything you want to say about them, offensively, they looked pretty good a lot of the time. Right. Tons of spacing, really good ball movement, great shooting. Our te- look, part of, part of what I'm saying here is just a result of our offense has not looked good. Yeah. And when offense is ugly, it does tend to, for like a, you know, a casual fan or even a, a, a fanatic like us, it does tend to bother you more than the defense. It's hard to say defense is pretty. Offense right. can look really pretty and free-flowing. Our offense under Archie has not yet. No, no. This year it needs to. I mean, it yeah. needs to. It needs to be better spacing, better flow, better shooting. We've all covered why we hope it will this year, but I'm with you on that. It's like we, we have yet to see it really look synchronized and flowing, and that is hopefully all going to change here by, uh, well, starting November 25th. That's not yeah. that far away. It's not, man. It's less than two months away, and in less than a month is football which I am more excited about than I've ever been about Indiana football. Well, because we're best friends with Tom Allen. BFF. Yeah. Do you, do you think he'll wear the necklace? Um, his half. You know what we got to do? I can't believe we haven't done this. We got to send Coach Allen and Coach Miller a Hoosier Hysterics t-shirt and at least see if they'll, like, tweet out a picture with it. Do we have enough left over? We've got a few. I'll have to check. It's a good question. I'll have to check. I'll have to check. But we got to send them a T-shirt. I think uh, that is something that they would appreciate, if not wear around town. I thought you were going to say, it's something they would appreciate, if not totally ignore, um, which is a possibility. All right, listen, we've talked enough. Do you want to do one more siren call? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you know what we do here at Hoosier Hysterics? We talk to legends of Indiana University basketball. We dipped into football here recently, but we're dipping our toes into all aspects of Indiana University athletics today. But Eric, I don't even know how you're going to list what this man has meant and means to Indiana University, but give it a try. Good luck. Well, we have been excited about this one for quite some time and couldn't be uh, happier that it is actually coming to uh, a reality. But we are talking to a gentleman today who hails from Michigan City, Indiana, attended Indiana University where he was a manager on the basketball team for four years under the legend and best college basketball coach in the history of the game, Coach Robert Montgomery Knight. He was part of that magical 1987 team that won the national championship. He worked after graduating from Indiana with a degree in SPIA, and we're going to get into that because, as you guys all know, I think SPIA is where people go that can't get into Kelly, but we're going to get into that. <laughs> uh, <he> were... 
he worked he worked for Tim Knight Enterprises coming out of school and then very quickly segued into what has become his life's work, where he joined the IU Varsity Club in December of 1989. He worked his way through the Varsity Club for seven years from 2002 to 2009, was director of the Varsity Club. From 2009 to 2020, was named deputy director of athletics. And just to run down a list of the few projects that this gentleman has been involved with, he has literally been involved in every major facilities improvement at IU over the last decade plus, which include the North and South End Zone completion, the Student Athletic Development Center, the Hankey Hall of Champions, the D. Ames Shule Academic Center, Bart Kaufman Field, the Andy Moore Softball Field, Cook Hall's Basketball Facility, and the renovation of Cook Hall, the renovated Simon Scott Assembly Hall, which most of our fans, I think, have been to, but if you haven't, it is truly top of the line, magical, what they were able to do to Assembly Hall. The, like I said, the enclosure of the South End Zone, which is home to the Excellence Academy, Wilkinson Hall, which is IU's home to volleyball and wrestling teams, the new IU Championship Golf Course, which, by the way, I was just told by several people who have played it, is just stunning and incredible, also very difficult, uh, and the soon-to-be-completed renovations, and we'll get an update on that, on Armstrong Stadium, home to, of course, the greatest soccer program in all of Division One college athletics, the Indiana Hoosier soccer program, winner of eight national championships. All of that has led to, in mid-March, the announcement came that replacing Fred Glass would be this gentleman. And on July 1st, he took the seat as the director of intercollegiate athletics, as the athletic director at Indiana University. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the man who sits on top of all of IU athletics, Mr. Scott Dolson. <laughs> wow <laughs> i feel old eric <laughs> but you look young That's true. and and for those of you obviously listening on audio i said this before we got on i mean scott's got a jacket on he's got a button-down shirt ward and i are in elastic shorts and t-shirts i mean he is the best <laughs> man who's been on this podcast scott how the hell are you I'm doing great, and, and thanks so much. I was looking forward to joining you guys for a long time. As you know, I'm huge fans and uh, just really appreciate not only being here today, but just what you guys have done for Indiana basketball and IU athletics and really IU. It's been really, really cool what you guys have done. Thanks so much, Scott. Really appreciate that. I've got to say, when I was listening to Eric list those accomplishments, building up, building up, building up, a lifetime of fanhood turning into a career of working passionately for the university. And then it comes to that moment when you're selected and announced as the IU athletic director. What was that feeling like when it happened? And when you even hear Eric saying it, do you still kind of have to pinch yourself that that's where you are now? Yeah, I, I do, I do. It's funny because, you know, you, I worked really hard to prepare and going into the interview process, my mindset, and I talked a lot to my wife about this, my, my mindset was, and I really felt this way, that just because I've been here a long time, got a lot of experience, I've been involved, uh, there was no reason to hire me, that I really felt like, and I had to do this for myself mentally to be in the right position, that I, I had to go into it thinking in my mind that I was a definite underdog and I, and I might've been, I don't know if I was or not, but I had mentally, I, in my mind thought I was an underdog to get the job and that, that I wanted to assume that nobody knew anything about me. And so I spent a lot of time in preparation 
really working as if nobody knew who this guy was or, or what my ideas are or anything like that. So I, I really had that mindset for so long that the day that President McRobbie called me, and I knew it was coming to a head. I didn't know which direction it was going to go. But he called me and offered me the job and, and, and said I was the choice. And, and obviously I was ecstatic and, and was really thrilled and thanked him. And, and it was funny because we never talked. And he, I think he, he mentioned to me that, you know, we'll talk. We, we want to make the announcement because things like this get out quickly and we can talk about um, salary and stuff later. And, you know, I'm thinking in my mind, I'll keep whatever I'm making now. I'm good. <laughs> I was like, hey, I would be the easiest negotiator in history. Yeah, let's, Scott, let's hope you don't use that kind of negotiating when you're negotiating schedules and stuff. For <laughs> yeah. you. I mean, come on. We got we to up it a little bit, right? You got to up that. Exactly. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that, but that was just being totally candid with you. I'm kind of laughing as I'm talking to him. So I'm, I'm so, so just pumped because, you know, you just, just really, I, I didn't allow myself to kind of think when it really, if it would really happen. So when it did, you know, we talked and I hung up and I called my wife right away. And I said, hey, you know, the president just called me and, and you know, I got the job. And to be honest with you, I, I couldn't talk. You know, I got choked up. It was the first time it just, it just hit me, you know, just a lot of, you know, a lot, and I, I remember thinking a lot of things were going through my mind, you know, just flashbacks, you know, it just happened. And I was thinking about just coming to basketball camp here as a kid and, you know, my grandfather loving IU and love Coach Knight and just all this stuff and, you know, my friends and just being a man, just all this stuff. And and so it just hit me. It's like, wow, you know, it happened. And, and so I remember my wife on the other line was saying, She's like, are you okay? You know, are you, are you okay? You got to talk. Are you okay? <laughs> and I'm good. I just need a minute. And, uh, and then I just got myself together. And then, and then really it's from that point on, it just, it turns into just all business. Then it's just kind of how I work. I really haven't thought that deep since that day, because what happens is, and this is just sort of how my career has been and how I work and just how I think, I guess, is I'm just focused so much on, the task at hand and the, having a vision for the program and all that, that I don't really take a step back in all honesty and think about it as much as I did just that first minute he told me. Well, let's also be clear about the scenario that you were in, because in any other year, you might have been able to take a breath. You might have been <laughs> able to even head out to little Zagreb's for a nice dinner to, to celebrate, which maybe you did. Did you have a celebration dinner or anything? You know, it's funny. I stayed here in my office for a, for a long time and was, was just doing a lot of things and test, text messages and things. And I, I got home about nine o'clock that night and Heidi, my wife, had, had uh, gone to pick up some pizza. I love pizza, you know, Bloomington pizza. And so yes. she and my stepson, Sam, had grabbed mother bears and they had pizza <laughs> waiting for me. And so we just hung out and had kind of the best time. And, and actually then a good friend of mine, Ron Remack dropped off a cafe pizzeria. So we had, we had cafe pizzeria, we had mother bears. And so for me, that was heaven. And, uh, and, and so that's, we did celebrate. We just sat and talked and, and it was, it was awesome. You know, it was really so, a, a cool. That's thing. awesome. My, the point I was making is you get the job in the middle of a global pandemic, which has, I would argue, and I think you would probably agree. There is nothing that has happened since you have been involved in IU athletics from an external standpoint. I mean, obviously you have been through Coach Knight's firing, things like that, that were seismic shifts in the landscape. But this affects 
everything. And, and it has disrupted every aspect of everyone's job and everyone's life. And obviously it has with college athletics. So you have to jump right in to, I mean, Fred saying goodbye. Here you go. <laughs> um, what, what just, what pressure do you feel or did you feel and continue to feel from just, you know, riding the bull during this time? You know, it's interesting because it, I don't feel, it's probably different than you might think. Where I feel more pressure, to be honest with you, the, 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 certainly the, the unprecedented times is, is overwhelming at times. And you take a step back and say, man, is this, is this going to ever get back to some sort of normalcy? But the pressure I feel is, is more uh, the pressure that I did really from the time the president called me just in terms of I really want to do a good job. I really want, I feel more pressure because then we're going to come out of this and, and at some point we're going to, but I really want our, our student athletes to maximize their opportunity. And, and that's just being totally honest with you. I, the thing that's changed a little bit is that, uh, you know, I've always been competitive. I want to win and I've always wanted to see there's nothing better. And you guys know this as well as I do. I don't care whether it's basketball or any other sport. When you see one of our student athletes going to succeed and a lot of times it's visible. Sometimes there are student athletes have incredible success that people don't even see. And that's what we're here for. That's what it's all about. But man, I just, the pressure I feel is, is that, you know, I think we've done so many, I feel when you look at our history here and all that we've done and all the great people before me and, you know, just even what Fred did and reestablishing our foundation of IU athletics, you know, I just, I want to, I want to do a good job. Yeah, and that's yeah. the pressure I feel every day is I, I want, I want to win. I want to, I want to not just, you know, I want to win in everything. I want to, I want to, I want it all. And so I feel a real, it's it, pressure might even be different. I, I want to, I feel a lot of energy about that. I just mm -hmm. want to just do everything I can to make things happen. And the way those things happen now, because obviously you'd been around the department for a long time and saw in, in normal circumstances, how to operate as the athletic director, um, as you were working so closely with Fred for so long, but now we're all kind of the, on the outside looking in is wait, is foot football. Oh, we are going to play football. Okay. We're, are we going to play basketball? Oh, okay. We are. And, and so how does that work between you uh, and your, your staff, your, your programs and coaches, the, the school, uh, president McRobbie, um, and then, of course, like the Big Ten, how are you guys finding a flow or an organization to the decision-making process? Yeah, one of the things that we did, Ward, is one of, a couple things. One of the things that was, I think, really important for me, I guess, again, taking over is that when, when, I was, when people knew that I was interviewing for the job, which has been awesome, there are a lot of people give different pieces of advice, and there were times people would say, Hey, you've got to prove that you can be the number one person. You've got to look the part or talk, you know, make sure you're confident. You, you, and, and it's funny. I said to my wife one night and I kind of was joking about it a little bit. I said, you know, do I look like I'm not confident sometimes, you know, because people are saying <laughs> you've got to be a certain way. And finally, in, in, in there, again, I had some incredible people give me some awesome advice. And I've always, I think my whole career, one of the things I learned this from coach Knight, which I'll tell you about if you want to at some point, but yeah, always. I was really impressed from the start when I was a young manager, how Coach Knight, which, which kind of surprised me. But I remember him bringing Pete Newell to practice or bringing 
uh, different people, Henry Iba or Everett Dean, he'd bring these iconic coaches to practice and he would sit and pick their brain and listen to them and ask advice. I thought, man, there's the greatest coach of all time and he's listening to these other people. And so I've always in my career tried to, you know, I've thought to myself, well, you know, I think really smart people know who to listen to and pick the right people to, uh, to listen to. So I, so what I, somebody told me along the way said, Scott, you just got to be you. You just have to be yourself. And that was the best advice I got, I think, I think because whether I was going to get the job or not, and then when I got the job and taking over, I've got to be me and, and, and lead how I lead and, and, and be authentic and genuine. And I think that's been so the best advice. So back to what you're saying, Ward, about just working with President Robbie and, and, and fighting through the challenges we have every day. You know, my style is, is I'm a, I'm a team builder and, and, and making certain that we've got the right administrative team. We've got people around us uh, that are, are know what their job is and are held accountable, but also are motivated and they want to do their job and they're excited to be here. And so I've tried to, every step of the way, really always get back to my core, what I believe in, who I am, how I care about people, what I care about this department. And I think if people see me being me and not trying to be someone else or, or being inconsistent daily, then I, I think it'll help the department. And I, and I feel, you know, this is the only way I can lead is that's how the department's going to get through this. And, and then most importantly, as we get through it, just having a vision for the future, I've just got to make certain that I lead how I, how I am, just be myself. You know, it's interesting, Scott, you brought up the interview process when you were interviewing for the job. And look, when you're in a high profile position like you were in and the one you were going for, the the seat you occupy now, it gets reported on. And people had a lot of interest on who the next AD of Indiana was going to be. And I'm sure you heard or read some of it, but it seemed like there were three main candidates. It was you, it was Chris Reynolds, somebody who you know very well, Mm -hmm. you worked alongside with. Uh, you know, I'm sure you're friendly on, on a lot of levels. And Pat Kraft, another guy from, mm-hmm. from Indiana. Mm-hmm. And there was a narrative built about all three of you, right? Pat was the guy who was going to come in and shake things up, right? Like that was, he was <laughs> the maverick that was going to really rock the boat. And Chris was a guy who understood basketball. Like he knew, he played for Bob Knight. He could get Indiana back. And the narrative on you from some was, he's the institutional guy. He's mm-hmm. the guy who gets it. And what Indiana needs is the guy who can rock the boat. Did that narrative play in at all to you? Did you hear any of it? And then did you process any of it to say, when I go into this interview, I got to let these guys know, like, I, I haven't been running the department. And when I do, here is what I want to do. Well, first of all, like you said, both Chris and Pat are great friends. You know, worked, you know, worked for a long time with Chris. Knew Chris when he played here. That's an advantage of being here such a long time. I mean, Chris played when I worked here. Yeah. And, uh, have highest level of respect for Chris, consider him a great friend. Uh, just like Pat Kraft, I, I hired Pat when Fred Glass took over. I knew Pat when he played here. I worked here when Pat played. Uh, brought Pat in as our marketing director when we hired Fred and consider both of them, you know, lifetime friends and would do anything for him. And, and I feel the same. And so I knew, uh, you know, different names being about, bandied about. But again, for me mentally, really my whole focus was just on what I said earlier that I wanted to assume people didn't know me and I wanted to make certain that, you know, I, I did not feel, but I want to make sure people knew I wasn't entitled to this job. I didn't feel like I earned it. I really didn't. I felt like I needed to have a vision and share that vision to where I felt like IU athletics needed to go 
to compete moving forward in all aspects. And so I focused really hard on putting a plan together that had a vision that, that I was confident in. And then it, you, you have to get yourself mentally to a place that, and if that wasn't where the university wanted to go, who was, was the search committee, the president, then I had to be good with that. And, and I was. And, and, and so I really didn't think, well, I have to put this vision together to counter maybe some of these negatives that people could say that Scott's not ready or he's been the number two guy or this is going to be a strength of another candidate. So I've got to try to counter that. I never really thought strategically that way. I just thought about and back to the coach night uh, tutelage and just for me being a manager. Again, I wasn't a player. I was a manager. So the, I learned different things because as a manager, it's you, you can observe a lot more. You can really let things soak in and you're in a different capacity for sure. And, you know, preparation and you hear former players saying it all the time. I felt the thing I could control the most is my total preparation and my vision. And I worked really hard at that. And, uh, and that's where I, I was confident going in. And fortunately, it, it ended up going the way I'd, I'd hoped. But I was good with whatever way it was going to go because I, I knew my plan was, was I put everything into it I could. So we've heard that word vision quite a few times now. Can we pretend like we're, we're the people making the decision on this? And can you share with us? And if it takes an hour, you know what. <laughs> but what is your vision? And obviously, it's looking beyond this pandemic. What what does it mean to you uh, for IU to be successful under your tenure? Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on, on several areas, and then we can you know we can go in any direction you guys want. But but you know there's there several key things. I mean, and, and I give Fred so much credit. And I was here, obviously, in a part of it, but I. When Fred came along, and I said this because I, I interviewed for the job when Fred interviewed for the job, and I didn't think I was in my mind. It was I felt completely different this time than last time, and, it, and that's due in large part to everything I learned under Fred and the opportunity he gave me. But but I, it, it, at that point when I interviewed under Fred, it was such a different time in the department. You know, we just been through so much change. We had we had IU athletics in our history. We've got such a great foundation you know, always have I think we've always wanted to play by the rules we've always stressed the the, the academics as well as, as well as athletics I think all of our Hoosier Nation out there I think feels that with us I mean people don't want to win at all costs here and and you know we went through some of the challenges we did with basketball prior to Fred getting here you know those are some of the toughest times ever because our fans that's just not who we are but when Fred mm -hmm. came on board what he did was he reestablished he codified that foundation and I thought, did you know, he's just, we'll build on that forever. And what, because what happened was it really wasn't written down. It wasn't, because mm -hmm. it was really, our, our foundation before was really built around iconic coaches. As you know, it was Coach Knight, it was Coach Yeagley, it was Bill Mallory, it was Doc Councilman. They kind of personified who we were in IU Athletics. And then they were all gone. And so they're gone. Mm -hmm. So then all of a sudden you lose your way a little bit. And Fred reestablished that. So then when I uh, had the opportunity to interview for it, my vision had, in my view, had to be how can we take this foundation that we've reestablished and the strengths that, again, to Fred's credit, where he led us in a quarter of a billion dollars in facility improvements and all the things that Fred did for the department, what is next? And I felt like the key things moving forward are, you know, financial stability is, is huge, and that's maybe staying the obvious, but I felt like I really need to make certain that the search committee, the president, 
understood that, that I had a vision for us financially that uh, through my fundraising acumen and my experience there, but also just a vision to make certain that I understand uh, what's needed to be done also on the expense side, because you can, you could try to, we could, you know, any candidate who would come in here, any candidate would say, well, it's, it's easy. We've got to fill, we've got to fill this football stadium. There's where the, there's the upside is. Well, that's stating the obvious. And, and certainly that's part of my plan as well, but you've got to make certain that we're ready if, if, if that takes time and what, what happens. So it's controlling the expenses, it's, it's generating revenue. And so the financial stability piece was huge, but building off that, you know, I felt like I really had to have a vision for the modern, the, the really the modernization of college athletics. That's the way I put it because college, as you guys know, with name, image, and likeness and with yes. transfer rules and that I didn't want anyone to think that here's this long time guy that's stuck in the 1987 ways and that's the way that it's going to be and I've always been intrigued by what's coming next what's around the corner and how can we be uh, from a name image and likeness standpoint that's coming how can we really be be really one of the leaders in that how do we do that and so part of my vision was to establish right off the bat which we've already done a, a task force that is not just kind of the athletics old guard but it takes some of our best recruiters you know Tom Ostrom from men's basketball Mike Hart from football uh uh, several others. I mean, we've got representatives from our soccer program, from women's basketball. We've got, and so, and then plus taking advantage of uh, staff on campus like Dr. Galen Clavio from the media school, who literally wrote a book on how to maximize your value on social media, literally. And so, uh, I, I felt like being having a vision for that was really, really important. The, the other thing is, I felt like you know Fred did such a great job. I, I felt like our women's programs were really on the cusp of taking off. I felt like we made huge strides, particularly from a facility standpoint, but we've really invested in our women's programs. And I felt like that there was a real opportunity for us to, I feel like our, our women's programs are somewhat of a sleeping giant, even though they're waking up and they've, they, but, but when you look at uh, the potential to win big 10 championships and to compete at a national level, and I thought a lot about how can we help our women's programs get to another level? If I'm athletic director, how can our administration, what can we do to take it to another level? So we put together a, a thing called our women's excellence initiative, our we initiative, and that hasn't been, publicly unfolded yet but we're working behind the scenes and I think there's some things we're going to do there uh, to bring our women's program collectively to another level and I'm excited about that um, there's no question and I know most fans out there would 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 say okay all oh, that's great but what about basketball <laughs> and so clearly you know a big part of anyone who who has this job or was interviewing for this job you've got to have a vision and it goes back to the financial stability for sure but also just because is is uh, the basketball program goes as the football program goes so does iu athletics so having a vision for that and so really the the vision for that and i'll stop there and let you guys talk because i could go on for a long time about these things but i thought long and hard about okay if i'm athletic director what can an athletic director do to help the basketball program win how do you know other than just people think well you just hire a coach right you hire if the football program is not going well you hire a coach you throw them the keys to the program and you let them drive the car and that's how you win and I've never felt that was the case. I feel like obviously the right coach is important. There's no doubt about that. But as an athletic director, I feel like it's really important. And, I've, and I'm putting this together and ultimately all of our programs will have this, but every program I think needs uh, what I call a master plan. And one of the things that's important is that whether it's a new coach or a coach who's been here for 15 years, 
I think the athletic director needs to make certain that he or she understand what is the vision that the coach has for the program. And because and, and and how I developed that was that, and it's not a revelation, it's, it's kind of simple, but I don't think it's talked about a lot, is that as I watched our iconic coaches win here, okay, as I watched Bob Knight up close, and I watched Jerry Yeagley, who I spent hours with Jerry Yeagley, and talked to him at length. And I always was thinking as I'm talking to Jerry Yeagley, well, if I'm AD someday, well, what can I take from him to really help me be a, a really good AD? And one of the things that I think was consistent in those coaches that were as good as it gets uh, nationally at their profession is that they, they did several things. They were really, really consistent with their approach to recruiting. They really knew the type of student athlete that they could win with. And they had a consistent approach, whether it's how we're going to recruit Indiana, how we're going to recruit nationally, what the type of student athlete we're looking for, a real consistent philosophy recruiting a real consistent philosophy from player development. And I mean, athletically, this is, we want our players fast. We want them strong. We want them quick. We want them this. These are the type of, once we get them here, this is how we're going to develop them. And then they all had a real, these iconic coaches had a real strong, consistent, this is our approach to playing. This is how we're going to win. This is our defensive philosophy. This is our offensive philosophy. This is how we're going to score. This is how we're going to compete. And I remember, again, growing up in a basketball program, I can tell you from being a part of it, and it's what I loved, you know, because I watched. And I watched how Coach Knight would prepare the teams. I knew our strategy. I knew how we'd win. I knew when we didn't win, why we didn't win. I knew the challenges we had in, in recruiting and, and where a miss was or where, you know, what, what we're looking for. And then, and then I felt like all three of those things were really, really important. I don't care what program it is. And then the final piece is leadership that any consistent winning program you see, that there's a leadership component where they're really bringing the team together and the lock, it starts from within the locker room. So having said, it's a long explanation, but for me and my vision for the program and me as athletic director, what I think I can do and what I wanna do is make certain that I'm working closely with our head coaches, particularly, as I said, I, I'm, I'm not um, naive enough to know what the, what the impacts are and the significance of Indiana basketball, but to work with Archie to make certain I understand his vision. And it's a thing I've been so impressed with Archie actually from the time I met him in San Francisco is that his vision for the program, his consistency, his approach, I love. I just like it because it's clear. I understand it. And, and obviously we all want it to come together. Nobody wants it more than he does, but at least I know what he wants to do and I know what he's working towards. And we have to have that with all of our coaches. And so that's just touching on a few things, but you know, back to the question, for me to, to have an opportunity to interview for athletic director, I had to go into it with a vision for how I would lead. And so I didn't want to leave any, you know, I had several interviews, but as I left that interview, I didn't want there to be any question that I had a plan and I was confident in the plan. And, uh, and I'm, I'm really enthusiastic about trying to execute it. So to try to drill down just a little bit on what you said, Scott, I'm curious, let's just take basketball. Mm -hmm. Let's say money wasn't a, issue you didn't have to fundraise like let's just say you had a magic wand as mm -hmm. ad mm -hmm. and you could make a decision today that would happen immediately what is something that you look at the program you've talked to archie you know what he wants what is something that if you could wave a magic wand and do for the iu basketball program right now you would like to do is there like a tangible thing that stands out because you've done the renovations to to cook hall. You've done assembly hall. So for fans, I think we're always looking at like, what, what is the next 
thing that we need to help us get there. What what is that for you? Yeah, there, there's not a there's not a tangible. Now that we did finish, because you know, as you know, and Archie arrived, and, and we've been doing things for a, a long time now, and it's really important. One of the things Bill Mowry told me, which is obviously related to football, but I think it it, it relates to, to to basketball as well, is that you've got to keep the spigot on. You can't invest. It'd be like if we just finished cook, the Cook Hall locker room renovation, and I said Archie. Hey, we're done for a while. Let's we're gonna move on to some other things. I'll check back with you in a couple of years and find out what's next. You've got to keep the spigot on. And I think that's why you're asking the question, what's, what's next? Right. I think if, if I said to you what my biggest worry is or my biggest thought is, is that uh, I want to, I, I really feel like it's going to be important that we have some unrestricted money for men's basketball so that I want us to always be on the cutting edge and think of what's next and to, and to have the vision of what the needs are. I feel really confident where we are today, but I, I am concerned because I know where we are financially in the department as a result of the pandemic. And we had some issues coming anyway, but because of the financial uh, challenges we have coming forward, having unrestricted giving and, and creating an opportunity. And, and, and I've, we've worked on that already for men's basketball, that we have some money uh, put away that's 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 uh, given specifically for unrestricted needs that when when that thing comes up it might be something small it might be something that people wouldn't even think that is critical to the success of our program that we can act quickly and be on the forefront of that and so that's what's on my mind right now and we've got opportunities to do that in in terms of um, you know, starting five fund that we have and that we're raising money to have some unrestricted money but beyond that right now, they're, they're, fortunately, because, and, and we've had, which, which obviously you two know uh, more than most, you know, we've really been fortunate and people have uh, been incredibly supportive in our facilities, uh, starting with Cook Hall, but then we renovated the Simon Scott Assembly Hall locker room. What we did there, that's just transformational. And then what we did with the Cook Hall locker room, which wasn't that old, I think it was 10 years old when we started the renovation. Uh, you know, I think our facilities are, I would, would take a backseat to, to nobody at this point. And, uh, and then the support nutritionally, one of the things yeah. that was critical too that people wouldn't know when Archie arrived, nutrition was, was something that he just, when we sat down and talked, he said, you know, I want to make certain that we can provide everything we can for our, for our players to develop. And one of the things is nutrition is really, really important. And we've been on the cutting edge of that. We've got a nutritionist here and South end zone and in the Tobias nutrition center, but we just done some things for men's basketball and nutrition side that I think really, you know, and, and that understanding money helps with that. Yeah. I want to follow up on that just so everybody, we're all on the same wavelength here. When you talk about unrestricted money, you mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys have some, some specific capital raises that happen for specific mm -hmm. things like cook hall. And mm -hmm. the money that's given by donors is restricted to just using that. Correct. What you're talking about is you want a pot of money that people give so that when something comes up that Archie really wants and you believe in, you can just spend it. Is that is that correct? Right? Yeah. Is that it, yeah. What it, money to get? Is that is that a uh, thing? You know, it, at times it can be, but it but it depends on what the vision is for that. Because part of it is, you know, most donors want to make certain, which I would too. You want to know where the money's going, because mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people uh, that have done some incredible things for us, it's because of specific reason, because they see the need and they and they feel that need. And so from a from a men's basketball standpoint, the vision for that is, is that because things are changing so fast and because there are needs that pop up, and it could be, I'll give you a quick example. 
What if Archie said to me, hey, next year, boy, we've got some young players coming in. I really feel like a foreign trip would be perfect timing. We could, let's, let's go. We could go for two weeks. And, boy, that will help us prepare for the season, which will help us win, which we all want to win. Well, right now in the athletic department, knowing where we are financially, we're going to have a hole this year that is, is, is major. And we're, and, and we're working on that now. How are we going to pay that back? What's going to happen? So next year, if, if Archie said, I think we can do it for $200,000. Well, I, I don't have $200,000 right now that I can say, hey, here's $200,000 we put towards that. However, if for men's basketball, we've got this fund, which we have already created, we've had it. We saw this coming a while back that we've got people that have given to that. People will understand that and say, well, that makes perfect sense. Because if, if we decide to go on a foreign trip, we're going to make that decision and have to make that call in a matter of a month or two. It's not going to be we have to raise a bunch of money for it. And so that's where the unrestricted money just gives you the ability to be nimble and to move on that. We've done that in, in part of the Women's Excellence Initiative, to be honest with you, is to create a fund that can be used in a similar fashion for women's sports in general, because it's hard. We can't have, and this is, this is you know, I've grown up in the fundraising area. You can't have 24 fundraising campaigns going at the same time for unrestricted money for every right. sport. Right, and, right. and then you can't fund your scholar. You know, our scholarship bill is going to be $20 million this year. We have to fund that. Is that what it is? Twenty million. That's what it costs. We're approaching twenty million. It's 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 gonna it's right on the cusp of getting to twenty. Wow. And so every year that's you know we're raising money for that, which is huge. You can't pocket shift and say, okay, good news is we've got two million dollars in unrestricted account for men's basketball. Bad news is we only have eighteen million for scholarships. We've lost. You know you can't do that. So trying to manage it all, but you know back to your original point, you know for men's basketball, that to me. Given where we are as a department, and, and I want to make certain that we've got the ability to be to be nimble there. To, and it's the same thing with football, the exact same thing. In fact, we've got a project coming up in football that I think is really, really important to, to keep the spigot on, like I said earlier, that isn't a huge money project, but I think it's something that's really important. And, and I think we've got a couple of donors that, that might be able to help us get, get that done. But where we are from an operating budget standpoint, we don't have the ability to, to, to utilize those funds because we're just, we're just in that tough of a situation right now. Is the name of that fund, the don't let Tom Allen get poached by the SEC fund? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. I love that. He's awesome. Look, we were going to save this for the end, but I'm just going to ask it now because I think it's important for fans to hear. Look, Scott, you're a fan first and foremost, and we're going to get into your story and how you became a fan, but you are a fan. And I know this because we've talked. You don't like the losing that's happened in IU basketball over the last, let's call it 20 years. You know, the inconsistency. Right. You were there at the peak of the peak. Mm -hmm. What is success for you for Indiana basketball? Like, and, and I know it's difficult because I know there's a lot of external factors. But when you take a step back and just go, you see Villanova winning multiple national championships. You see Virginia that went from nothing to being a perennial power. You know, there are tangible measurements for success in basketball and football and all the sports. For you, take a five-year stretch with no recruiting violations, no coaching changes. To me, what success looks like is, number one, from a recruiting standpoint, particularly in the state of Indiana, that, that 
there's a real strong feel there. There's a feel that we're getting our share. I think that's just critical in building the success of the program. And then secondly, you know, I, it's what I grew up with and I can hear it is I'm sitting here right now talking to you guys. I can hear coach Knight talking about, we've got to compete for the big 10 championship. And when I say that, uh, and, and I know what he's, cause he, he would follow up to, by saying that if you can compete for a big 10 championship, Year in and year out, you can compete on the national level. You can you can have an opportunity. If you're good enough to compete for a Big Ten championship because the league is that good, you can compete at a, at a national level, and hopefully then you make runs. And obviously, you know, I shouldn't have this job if, if I didn't want to hang a banner. We all do. I mean, I shouldn't be here if, if, I, if, if we didn't. But at the same time, I understand what that takes. I understand the challenges with that. But I believe if you – can compete recruiting in the state of Indiana, hold your own, have a real consistent approach, a consistent feel from a recruiting standpoint. You can compete year in and year out for Big Ten championships that you'll have the ability then to make a run in the tournament uh, year in and year out. And when you look at it, and I've studied this a lot, when you look at our runs in the 70s and 80s and 90s and really Coach Knight's era here, what I did, in fact, when I – at one point, I was really evaluating our basketball program, and I looked at in, in the 70s and 80s, 90s, and really Coach Knight's years and then beyond, I looked at where, where we finished in the Big Ten every year. And, you know, we were in, in, in the 70s, obviously, we were the – and then I averaged that out. So what you could do is you could take where you finished every year, you average out, and you could see what, what was the average finish in the Big Ten in the 70s for IU, what was it in the 80s, what was it in the 90s. And, and we were one – Obviously, in the 70s and 80s, we were one. I think we were one in the 90s. I think we dropped to two early on in Coach Knight. But we were, we were, you know, you're in the top three every year in the Big Ten. When you can consistently do that, you can make runs. And when you look at other programs in the Big Ten over the last 20 years who've had big runs, and, and that's what they've done is they've consistently, obviously, finished high in the Big Ten. And, and to me, if 10 years from now, if, if we're not finishing year in and year out in the, in the top half, you know, half top third of the big 10 making runs, that's, what's going to be able to enable us to make those runs in the NCAA tournament. In your position, what, if anything can be done to influence this? And if it's even a, a concern of yours at this point, but nobody in the big tens won it all for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And is there any kind of concern within the conference, within the ADs, um, we know how some of the coaches feel about the style of basketball preventing a Big Ten team from bringing it home because it's so rough and tumble where we're at and the schools and the conferences that have been winning the last 20 years don't play that style. And if you're concerned with that, is that something you feel any kind of movement on the ground within the conference to address? I don't at this point. And I don't think that that should prevent us from making deep runs in the tournament. I really don't. Uh, but it is certainly something that, that from time to time you'll hear out there. But I, but I, I do think that, uh, you know, back to what I said earlier, I think for us to control what we can control, it goes back to our, our recruiting and make certain we're consistent there. And, and that's just, it's just can't underscore how big that is. And, and people don't sometimes realize when you've got 13 scholarships, you know, the, and now with transfer rules and roster management is really hard, really hard. 
and you know to be consistent which is what we all want you know that's such a key part of it and and you know that's where I, I feel really good what Archie's done and I think that's where we've really made a lot of strides and consistency there and recruiting and, and, and getting that uh, solid roster together and, and where you can get old and stay old and all those cliches that you hear but um I don't I don't think Ward that uh, I don't. I know in my short time, just in the in the athletic director chair, I've not heard much about the style of play in the league, but I but I, you know, I, I I'm hopeful that uh, just with what we're doing, we control, we can control, and we can we can make those runs that we all want to. So let's pivot to football, where it's a different conversation, and mm-hmm. football has not had the historic success that basketball has, and I think it's fair to say that the ceiling on football. Uh, at least historically, has been lower than the ceiling on basketball. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of that has to do with money, truthfully, and how much has been spent on it. What success look like for you on the football field? Well, I'll tell you a quick aside that maybe a lot of people wouldn't know, but it's kind of cool, I think. It's it's fun. But my brother-in-law is a guy named Joe Huff, okay? And Joe was a walk-on linebacker for Bill Mallory. We're the same age. And we didn't know each other real well in school. We met late in school, but Joe and I are married to sisters now. And Joe, we talk, he's, and he's a linebacker. I mean, he is, he is, he went from being a walk-on 5'10 from Castle, Indiana. He's a great story. If you ever heard Bill Mallory tell the Joe Huff story, it's awesome because Joe Huff's mom, Mary Joe, brought him uh, after his senior year in high school to Bill Mallory's office and walked him in the office and sat him down and said, either you're going to take him as a walk-on or I'm driving to Ohio State right now. He's going there. So you just got to tell me yes or no right now. And Bill Mowry said, I'll take him. And that was his recruiting. That's the true story. And Joe never said a word. He just, his mom kind of dragged him in, drug him in there by his ear. And then he ended up playing as a freshman. He ended up being a really good player for, him. I mean, he was, he was a great defensive end. He made the sack against Michigan that won the home oh, game against nice. Michigan, waved the towel at the end. Yes. So the reason I'm telling you all that is, is that the most pressure I feel from football is I'm talking to Joe. <laughs> and Joe's on me. Joe, I got the AD job. Joe's like, hey, we're getting, you know, we're going to take football to another level here. And Joe's like, you know, my inspiration. We're really, really close. But, but so that's cool to talk football that's with awesome. Joe because Joe, and he lived it and actually had a huge run and was teammates with AT and, some of those guys that are my vintage, you know, I'm really close with a lot of those guys. So, and you don't want a Thanksgiving dinner where Joe <laughs> looks across the table. And I'm telling you, what's going on here, Eric? You have no idea how right you are on that. I mean, Joe's the guy. You want him on your side. I mean, Joe's he's your he's he's awesome. He's he's so he's he's my football kind of inspiration, I guess you could say. Well, and and then you know, added on to that, I you know, I became really close with Coach Mallory, and and I just am so fortunate because Coach Mal. Uh, for whatever reason, I'm a former basketball manager. And so, he, and so I wasn't in, in his mind, you know, initially a football guy, but I took that as kind of a challenge because we go to these golf outings every summer uh, for the varsity club and coach Mallory would go, you know, 14, 15 golf outings a summer. We spent so much time together and I always pick his brain about football. And he always would tease me at the beginning. He said, you're, you're that round ball guy. What do you know about football? And then we talk and go back and forth. And, uh, and so my, sort of vision and thoughts about football really come from, you know, a lot of history and, and talking through it and knowing Indiana football. And I think that, you know, for us, I know some people think this, but I don't see it as a, a lack of money issue that, that it's something that that's preventing us from winning consistently in football. And maybe at one point, uh, historically, it might have been, 
and maybe at one point, uh, you know, going back, because I've been here a long time, maybe the administration wasn't as supportive as it, as it could have been to help us with football, but it hasn't been in the modern era for sure. And that's one of the things that, you know, I give President McRobbie a lot of credit and people may not realize this. And obviously I give Fred a ton of credit as well, but, you know, we've been really supportive. Our investment in football has been really, really good and strong. And, and again, back to what I said earlier, I think consistency is so important. And I think with that investment, and I think with, as you guys could tell with Tom Allen and being on uh, with you guys a couple weeks ago, you know, I think, I think that's how we can get to consistent winning is it's, it's not a lot different than basketball in terms of that consistent approach. And it can't be, I really truly believe this. And I don't think that money can just buy uh, all of a sudden you're going to be com com competing for a national championship football. Mm -hmm. If there was some amount of money you could spend, I really don't believe that. I think there's got to be a consistent approach and money doesn't always equate to what you think it might. And, and no. the thing we haven't been able to do in football isn't because a, a lack mm -hmm. of investment. I don't think so. Even historically, you don't think? That I that think historically there could have been at one point. I think even back to when Bill Mallory was here, to be honest with you, and, and I give Clarence Donger a lot of credit, um, he, there wasn't probably the institutional support that Clarence needed at times where we really had a chance under Bill Mallory to take it to another level. And, and I think, you know, what we've seen is more support. And again, I give President McRobbie a ton of credit for this and probably people wouldn't realize this behind the scenes, but, and I'm not, and, and people could say to me, well, he's your boss now you're saying this or, or, you know, he hired you, you got the job, but uh, you know, I just gotta be totally transparent with you guys. He's been incredible uh, for multiple reasons, but over a long period of time, because I've been here and I've seen it when we don't have that support mm -hmm. and the investments we've made and, you know, the $250 million plus in facilities and I give Fred a ton of credit, but Fred, if he were on this show right now, he would tell you that without the support from uh, President McRobbie and, and his administration, we couldn't have made that happen. I'm just going to ask a flat-out question. Do you sure. believe that Indiana University football can win a Rose Bowl? Absolutely. And, and, and if, if I didn't feel that way, and that's not the company line or being a cheerleader, he has to say that. But, but let's, let, let me ask you this. If you guys, and I think about this a lot, when I was in school, Northwestern was in football, absolutely. If you'd have told me, that Northwestern would have the 20 year run that they've had in football, I would have never believed it. Right. And I don't think anybody else would have. And I give Northwestern's administration, their athletic directors and Jim Phillips, who's their athletic director now, who's probably one of the best in the business. I mean, he's incredible. And I, I really admire him and I seek advice from him. He and I, and that's one of the, I hate to even call it a silver lining because I wish we weren't in the pandemic, but I've gotten really close in a short time period. I knew a lot of the ADs because I attended a few meetings for Fred but this has brought us together. You know, I talk to Mike Bobinski from Purdue every week. We'll cut that part out. <laughs> you do the opposite of whatever he advises because you know he's trying to sabotage him. Yeah, Scott, come on, man. Go back to being a manager on the team when, no, when Coach Knight is <laughs> well, I'm telling you. Well, but, but my point is, if you would have asked me, would Northwestern have the run? If you said to me, why don't we take for the next 20 years, Northwestern's last 20 years, who would, who would not take that? I mean, the Rose Bowl, the, the, the success they had, they won a Big Ten uh, West championship, played in the Big Ten championship game. So, so if the, you know, the question is, can we uh, win a Big Ten championship in football? Absolutely. 
and, you know, we, we've got a lot to work, but if, if I didn't think that way, I shouldn't have the job. And that's not being a cheerleader. We've got to strategically figure out how to make that happen. And, uh, and that's what we want to do. Eric alluded to back in your manager days, let's do this. Let's go even further back than that. I think it's time young <laughs> Scott Dolson growing up in Michigan city. How did you fall in love with Indiana university and specifically the basketball program? Well, my, my grandfather came to school here and he, he came here for one year and then couldn't afford it, went back home. And so I remember being eight years old. It was 1975. And I remember it like it was yesterday because my grandfather was talking to me about Coach Knight and Indiana basketball. And I was kind of starting to watch it and they were undefeated. And he and I watched the 1975 Elite Eight game against Kentucky. You know, when we lost by one, or I, I can't remember if we lost by one, but we I lost the game, yeah. two, we lost by two. So we get beaten that game, and it was, and I've never seen my grandfather. He was my idol, and he was crushed. I remember he left. I, let's say the game was that afternoon because he left, he took the dog for a walk. He, they had a dog, my, grandpa, my grandparents did, and they lost the game. He never said a word. He left. And he left with the dog and literally he was gone for hours. I thought we were gonna have to call the police. I remember <laughs> asking my grandmother, my mom, like, where did he go? And I'm looking out the window and it's dark out. And they finally came back home and the dog just about passed out. And, and he was like, he just said, you know, it, it crushed him. That was just such, he couldn't talk. I mean, it was just such a devastating loss. And I remember thinking, wow, this is a big deal. And then of course we went in this 1976 year, you know, I'm nine years old. We, we win that. And it was, I just never forget that game and, and Quinn Buckner and Scott May dancing on the sideline and who would have thought we go undefeated. And so I'm a product of that, you know, I'm, and I'm thinking, man, that's who I want to be. Right, I want to be right. on that team someday. I'm Scott. Scott May was a player. <laughs> I'm thinking I want to be that, you know, I want to, and I went to Bob Knight basketball camp then that, and, and I've kind of, I said this at a couple other media things, you know, it's kind of, the joke, it's funny, you know, I, when I came to camp then after that 76 season, that summer, like most kids, you sign up for Bob Knight camp, wait for the letter to come in the mail when you're going to get your assignment you go to the dorm. And so I came here by myself, you know, my grandfather drops me off and dropped me off. And I thought, man, this is it for me. I met coach Knight, you know, shook his hand. And I thought, this is it. I want to come here and play. But then I realized I've got a little ability problem. You know, I realized at camp, you know, I may need to figure out a different way. And, uh, and so ultimately, it's just so funny that I've been just so fortunate in the, how things just kind of work out because I, you know, just always followed IU, loved IU. It just so happens that, you know, my best friend in high school, Delroy Brooks, who we were like brothers and, he ends up, you know, being the Romeo Langford. I think, I think you could argue he would be the Romeo Langford of his day. You know, he was a McDonald's All-American. He was a USA Today National High School Player of the Year. He came on his visit here the fall of our senior year in high school. I thought he was going to go to UCLA. His dream was go to go to UCLA. He grew up loving UCLA. Came, I always was talking to him at IU. He came here and called me from his visit and said, I just committed to play for Coach Knight. And I was like, I couldn't believe it. And he, he was calling me from a dorm room and he said, and we could be roommates. And he said, I think you should be a manager. And I'd never been a manager of anything before. I played baseball. I played basketball my first two years. And I tried to concentrate on baseball, which was kind of a joke too, because I was just a, you know, an average player at best. But, but he said, hey, Steve Alford's roommate is a manager. 
He said they play in practice, they rebound, they set screens. It's a pretty cool deal. He said, you love IU basketball, anybody I know, more than anybody I know, you should do it. And I said, hey, that'd be great. And so that's how I sort of got started. And I interviewed for the manager job, but I had an in because I was sort of the guy with Delray. And it's funny, I can tell you guys a funny thing. So Winston Morgan and Stu Robinson, who were on the team at that time, they were, I think they were, my freshman year, they were juniors. And so they called me D- DR. They, my name was Delray's roommate. They called me DR. <laughs> so they see me and they say, hey, DR, because we hang out, we all hang out. And, you know, it was just it was funny times. They called me DR. And then Delray transfers, you know, the story Delray transfers after first semester of my sophomore year. And I remember two things about that. So I, I'd gone home because the freshman and sophomore managers go home for the holidays. And then the juniors and seniors stay. So I was home for Christmas. Delray comes home. He tra- he's transferring. So I came back. And it was kind of weird because Delray was gone. And, and I remember thinking, you know, I'm, I'm still a manager. So I go to first practice and I see Coach Knight. And we just bump into each other. I'm walking into practice. And he said, uh, he said you're still here. And I go, yeah, that's good, right? <laughs> that's good. And he just kind of looked at me and walked away. And I'm thinking, well, I guess I'm still good. It was just kind of funny, but I saw I saw Winston and Stu, and they looked at me and they said, "We're going to call you Dor." And I'm like, "Dor, Delray's old roommate. You're no longer Delray's." <laughs> so they called me Dor. So that was kind of. Was that hard for you, Scott, when your best friend leaves? And I'm sure at some point he's like confiding in you about how yeah. difficult things are and you're a guy that he trusts and you've been with him through a lot. Was it hard for you? Did you feel some split loyalty there between being friend to Delray and, and the program? A, a little bit, maybe. I mean, I felt for him because the tough thing about him transferring was he really loved the school. He loved the team. He was a popular player on the team. He was friends with everybody. He kind of had a interesting time here but it just he lost his confidence and he just needed a change but then for me what was interesting is is although it was hard because I wanted him to be successful it really was a great thing for me in some ways because then I had to really blossom I was kind of his guy and his right hand person you know we were together and then he's gone and then I sort of blossomed and I'm on my own in some ways and I think that helped me just in terms of as I look back even though I hated that he went through it it was really good for me and sort of my growth and, and just becoming friends with different people and just getting a whole new, um, I guess, out, outlook on things. Although I wish he, it would worked out with him, but it, it really was probably good for me just from a growth standpoint. I had read in an interview with Del Rey that when the idea was brought up to Coach Knight, and I believe you were there as the story was told about wanting to bring you in as a manager, that Coach Knight had said, sure, but I'm tougher on my managers even than my players. Did you find that to be true? Yeah, he did say that. It was funny. And then he did. He looked right at me and he said, I'm tougher on the managers sometimes than the players. And then he looked at me and he said, you always look like you're up to something. What do you, you know, he said, what do you, what, what do you have on your mind? What are you up to? He just kind of was being funny, but, but I'd say that it wasn't necessarily he was tougher that, that it was just for sure, because I, you know, I, you know, the players obviously had it, you know, they, which was, was ultimately how, you know, we, he built the team and, you know, the challenges they had, but I'd say the expectations, which I still draw on today, the expectations for the managers were just, you, you know, you did your job. And there's no question in my mind, again, that there's all these 
I've had incredible opportunities, you know, from working under Fred and learning from him back to being a manager and, and working for Tim Knight and all these different things. But there's absolutely no question of being a manager. I look back and rely on things I learned and how to work, how to be responsible, time management, all these different things at 18 to 22 years old that, that I just would never have had this opportunity if I hadn't gone through that. And, and I'll tell you one quick, like funny thing that is sort of, you know, the old manager stories, I mean, you get a bunch of old managers together. I tell you, it is unbelievable. And, and I was, I was an average manager. I'm telling you, I had managers around me that were like studs. I mean, they were, they worked hard. They were like, they, they, they helped me. I'm just telling you, there's a guy named Bill Heinbrook that was a, the manager he was a senior when I was a sophomore and he ended up staying for our national championship year which is my junior year he was Bill's one of the smartest hardest working people he's just unreal and I could go through this by far but this is what it's like being a manager the pressure is that I remember being on a road trip and going I think it was to Wisconsin and this is where you learn to deal with pressure so like things don't bother me because to me this is if you ask me one of the most pressure situations I've ever been on this is honest goodness truth we get to the team hotel and one of the assistant coaches said to me, Coach Knight needs his VCR set up in his in his room, like right now. He wants to watch film. And this is back then when we had VCRs that we took on the trips in these big cases. And you had to go in the hotel rooms and actually physically hook them up. And I'm terrible with electronics. I mean, that wasn't my thing. And so I'm a junior. This is maybe our national championship year. So I'm traveling with the team. And they're like, Scott, you got to go set this up in Coach Knight's room now. He wants to watch the practice tape because we, you know, we fly in the, right after practice. So we, so I get up to his room, and he's actually already in there, and he's sitting on the end of his bed with this hat still on. He wore this hat pulled down. He had his coat on, and he goes, "Get it set up, Scott." So I, I have a note card that one of the, my fellow managers had written on how to set up the VCR. Like, <laughs> so I pull that out and I'm, it's in this big old armoire, you know, in the hotels, they had those big armoires with the TV and I'm getting the wires out and I'm trying to reach behind. It's so heavy. I can't pull the TV out and I'm trying to get it <laughs> screwed in. And literally this is divine intervention because I've got sweat rolling down my face and I'd handed him the remote. He's sitting at the end of the bed, coach night by himself, just me and him. He's got the remote held up and I'm literally reaching behind the armware, trying to unhook the TV wire to get it to the VCR. <laughs> and literally I just get it to where I can screw it up, screw it in. And I said, go ahead and try it. And it worked. And I'm telling you, it was the greatest day. And I go, yes. <laughs> and he looked at me. I just, you know, these little coach night moments, this is what the life of a manager is. Okay. It's little things, you know, for players, it's hitting a big shot in the game for a manager. For me, and, you know, I was like, yes. And I remember him looking at me. He's like, you can, you can go now. And I'm like, <laughs> but I was like, you know, that was a big win for me. So that's, that was pressure. Cause I thought if I hadn't gotten that wire hooked up, right, I would not be here today. I'm not sure I would survive. <laughs> he wanted to watch that practice tape so bad, but those are little things in the life of a manager. You're just scrambling, doing stuff. And, and again, that, that's what helped me so much. Just how to work. Yeah. Well, Ward, you got to ask the question that you said you wanted to ask beforehand. I have so many. Oh, he forgot. I'll ask it for him. So, so as it relates to that, that's a moment where you pleased Coach Knight oh, and yeah. he told you you could leave. The opposite, of course, is there had to be a time where you got him upset. Do you remember a specific time where you did something that really ticked him off? Yeah, I did, for sure. I, we were playing at Michigan State 
And we were, we were the day of the game. It was a night game. So the day of the game, we had our walkthrough shoot around at, it was at the old, I guess, Jenison Field House. Is that what it, I think yeah, that's what it's, it's kind of called. Of and it, it was kind of like our hyper building where the, the court was set up. There was a track kind of around the court. There was an old building and I'll make the story short, but basically the managers had to clear the area to make sure nobody was watching and to make certain no one was around because it was our practice time. And their manager was, who kind of hosted us was still there. And I didn't ask him to leave because I thought he was okay because he was sort of hosting us. And it was just a bad time because we, we were in a tough spot. And, and I remember standing on the court and coach Knight was on the other side of the court. We were both at half court, both on, I was on one sideline. He was on the other sideline. And I remember looking and he's looking at me and I'm thinking somebody's got to be behind me because he's not looking at me. And I'm standing there, and all of a sudden, he makes a beeline for me, and he's walking across the court. And I just am thinking to myself, surely Steve Isle or somebody's standing on the other side of me, because he's not coming that fast to talk to me. And he came up, and he he definitely, it was the first time, like, he he definitely told me he wasn't happy that, that somebody was still watching our practice. And it was, it was, it was epic. And, and it was so epic that I remember afterwards, we went in the locker room afterwards because then the, the team got kicked out. We went in there and I remember walking in and Dean Garrett, who I love Dean Garrett. I'm still close. You know, all those guys are like, you know, I just feel so fortunate. They're like brothers really. But Dean Garrett came up and he put his arm around me. He said, man, Scott, are you all right? No manager's ever got, ever got yelled at like that. <laughs> I've seen that. I said, no, I'm good. I'm good. And then, so anyway, those are every manager's probably got their little little story. I do <laughs> I do, having heard the stories of how much time you guys put in beyond the players, you know, taking care of stuff at night for practice the next morning, getting in early, getting things set up, and you also have to go to class even mm-hmm. if it's spia, you still got to go. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. (laughs) Not really. Uh Uh-uh. I had roommates who majored in SPIA. They weren't going. Hey, it's the number one ranked in the country. Come on now. Come on now. I know. (laughs) But so much of the Bloomington experience being out there, the social life, mixing it up. Did you get to do any of that? the fun aspects of Bloomington and I'm sure being a manager was a lot of fun a lot of times but just it just seems like you had so much more to do while you were there than I ever did. Yeah it's funny because you you just it's sort of like you don't know any other way I mean you just get used to the rhythm of you go to practice and, and everything was such a routine and so you know definitely had you developed and it's what helped me helps me today. I mean, you just do what you need to do to get things done and, and time management. And so whether it was uh, doing what I had to do with practice or, or academically, obviously that always came first, but, but trust me, I had, I feel like I had more fun. I mean, if you had Brian Sloan and Jeff Oliphant on this, cause I ended up rooming with them after, and then Eric Anderson, who, you know, I still think about, you know, when, when Brian graduated and left, we still, had some time. So Eric Anderson moved in and we had, and you could talk to any former manager or player. I mean, there's a bond there. And in terms of fun, you know, certainly during the season, you've got to be careful and, and uh, you know, time is, is, is limited at times, but you know, we, I feel like I look back and that's what I want for our student athletes to have. I don't think there was anything that I look back and feel like, man, I missed anything. Or I think we had more 
fun and laughs and, and just we had the complete college experience for sure. Well, you had the complete lifetime experience because you got to win a national championship. Right, right. And so my first question is, do you have a ring? Yes, yeah. Do you have yeah. it on you? Are you wearing it? I don't, I don't have it on me. I've got it at home. <laughs> there, I would sleep in it. <laughs> but just Scott, tell us without you know going in game by game, but when you beat Syracuse, when Keith hits the shot, just walk us through your perspective on all of that. Well, th- for me, the, the, the coolest memory I have, to be honest with you, is first of all, <clears throat> when we rode to the game in the bus, I remember coming down in the hotel and loading up the bus. And, you know, we had like three managers, I think, maybe somewhere in there, not very many who actually went with the team to the game. And Coach Knight actually walked to the game from the hotel. So it was just the players and three managers on the bus. And the sea of people in the hotel that lined up to get as you're getting on the bus, which was really kind of just surreal. It was just amazing how many people were there. And then when we got on the bus, we had this police escort. I remember the players and, and the managers, the three of us, I guess, who were on there, were just fought. we were looking out the windows, just like an amazement of the police escort and just getting to the game. I remember just physically getting there. It was really cool. And then the other thing I remember is, is being in the locker room before the game. And the last thing is Coach Knight's talking to the team and how he addressed the team. And I remember it's kind of one of those moments that just sticks in your mind because I'm thinking back to like 1976 and as a kid and all of a sudden I'm like thinking, I'm in the locker room and Coach Knight's talking to the team. Now, granted, I thought I was going to be a player, but I was a manager. It was a different role, but I was there. And that, you figure out how you could get there. So I'm there and I remember, man, just feeling how lucky I felt to be there. And just like, wow. And then everybody ran out on the court and I stayed in there with a, a guy named Stephen Trust, who was a manager with me, who were really close. You know, all those guys were really tight with. And Quinn Buckner was in there. Quinn Buckner, for some reason, was – and Quinn would not remember this, I'm telling you. Yeah, you know, Quinn – because here I am, a manager, and I'm standing there with Quinn Buckner, who was my idol at 76. And and I remember just talking to Quinn and, and with Stephen Trust and I, and we kind of walked out together. And I just remember how cool that was, just thinking about being in there with Quinn and – and him in 76 and then and then you know Keith hits that shot and I'll tell you another cool story is that so they could only allow only one manager was allowed on the bench because credentials are really tight mm-hmm. really tight so the other managers which I was one of the other managers I was in the first row sitting with the other managers and Keith hits the shot and the problem is then you want to get on the court for the celebration right and so but there's no you can't get down there without a credential so Stephen Trust, I, I shouldn't probably say this because I'm, I'm I'm outing him a little bit, but it's 33 years later. I think the okay. statute of limitations. He's okay. Yeah. So Steve, so at some point during the week, there was a missing credential that was like the biggest deal ever because, <laughs> it, and we had to appeal to the NCA to get it replaced, and we figured some you know player somebody lost it, a, you know one of the assistants took off their jacket and it fell, so we had this missing credential we had to get replaced. So. Keith hits the shot, and I'm sitting next to Stephen Trust, and he's going to kill me for saying this, but all of a sudden he pulls out of his jacket pocket, he's got a credential. <laughs> and so I'm, yes. like, I'm like, whoa. And so he goes down on the court, and then, like a good brother, next thing you know, five minutes later, he comes running back and has more credentials he got. So he got me and a couple of the other older guys down there. And so Stephen Trust, who is a, a name that 
only former players and managers, you know, he's one of the smarter people and very ingenuitive. He <laughs> worked for him. So I got down on the court and was running around just like, it was just crazy. Thanks to Stephen Truss. So that's the, the truth. Well, that's awesome. And I think what you need to do as AD is make Stephen Trust the head of compliance. At <laughs> just to loosen things up. <laughs> we want to play by what. the rules, but just around the edges a little bit. He, he, could, he would be excellent. He could, he could figure out a way to make certain that we're right on the verge. Right on the line. He's on the line. Yeah, he, he didn't he would, steal the credential. Somebody gave it to him. I mean, what's he going to do? Found it on I, the think floor. He fa- I think he found it. I think he did find it but I'll, I'll never forget that look on, on in just his Whip face when Keith hits the shot there's pandemonium and I look at him and he's pulled out the jacket pocket and there it was and it's like wow and because it was a big deal to get down there because nobody could and, yeah and so anyway it was it was pretty cool it was, to say the least it's amazing so you're you're now part of a national championship team obviously you lose the the beloved seniors um, but you you have another highlight coming in your own career. You are named head manager, are you not? Yeah, which is probably because the seniors almost you have to be kind of a complete loser not to get it. So it's a great thing, but <laughs> but I mean, if you're talking to a former player, they're probably like you know I, I wouldn't say like you have to interview and beat somebody out for it. If you make it to your senior year, you sort of get it. So got it. But it was a but but but. The reality is it was kind of cool when you become a senior that you do assume that leadership role. If you, again, you could screw it up and not get it. But yeah, there were only two seniors, a guy named David Gottlieb, who David Gottlieb is, his dad was a manager when Bob Knight played at Ohio State, Eddie Gottlieb. And so David was a manager with me in my class. And so David Gottlieb, who texts me probably twice a week right now, which is so awesome. And he'll see something and he's telling me, hang in there. And that's what's so great, man. There's, I cannot tell you, uh, it's, that was just, again, I was a manager. I wasn't a player. I'm pretty sure we would have won the national championship without me being involved at all. And just trust me. I think Keith would have hit the shot fine without me. But I can tell you from Todd Meyer to Bill Heinbrook, who I mentioned earlier, and I could go through the list. Keith Smart's been unbelievable. Um, you know, Brian Sloan and Jeff Oliphant are, are truly like brothers to me. I talked to Jeff you know, just the other day, we we're just Jeff's daughters on our volleyball team now. And Brian Sloan's two kids, Grant was a baseball player for us for the past three years. And he graduated and his, his uh, daughter, Megan played volleyball. So it's just been really cool. Like the, it, it, that's what's so cool. And what I want our student athletes to have an opportunity to win is because when you win, uh, there's obvious great things that come with that, but the bond is created. And, you know, those, those guys, you know, when I, I get together with and talk and, you know, the, those are friends. You talk about that's my fraternity and they're friends for life. Well, I want to skip ahead to something because it, it kind of dovetails on this. Obviously, the star of that team was Steve Alford, yes. who is just an all time legend at Indiana. Mm-hmm. You clearly share this bond. You were together for three years with, mm-hmm. with Steve. Mm-hmm. In your career as, as a part of the administration, let's say, of, of IU Athletics, Steve's name has come up from time mm-hmm. to time when mm-hmm. coaching searches have come up. I, that has to be a difficult situation, I would think. Or is it not when, when you have a friendship with somebody and you're not the one at, at, that, at those levels right. making that decision, but I have to think there's some dynamic at play there that's a little awkward. Is it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. To be totally candid with you, that, that has been one of the things that I give Steve a ton of credit. I mean, a ton. 
because he knows that, that you know, it hasn't been my decision because uh, obviously there have been three times, I think, when we've had openings. And, and uh, to his credit, he uh, understands the friendship versus business and has is, is sort of kept that out of our uh, longtime friendship. I mean, Steve and I were neighbors at Jackson Heights. I mean, Jackson Heights is where yes. when I was in my day, that's where the players lived and, and the team and managers. And so I, Steve and I were neighbors for three years, yeah, I think three years. And his brother, Sean moved in when Steve moved out. And, and so, you know, I have the highest level of respect for Steve. I always did. And obviously was close with him in school just because we, you know, we're part of the same fraternity, but he, to his credit, and I thought at times like, man, he must think I'm like, what does he think about me? Right. Because right. here I work here and known him forever. And, but he never, ever to his credit, never you know, reached out and said, can I have a sidebar conversation with you? Or can he respected my role? And obviously I respected his and, and I give him a ton of credit for that because he, it could be really awkward, but he never made it that way. And that's, you know, he was class act with that. He never really tried to sort of use our sort of long time, uh, friendship or relationship as a way to sort of find out what's going on or all that. And I give him a ton of credit for that. So just to follow up to that, because Ward and I, because of being able to talk to so many of these great legends of the past, we've been able to have some conversations with them. While Steve, I know, has been respectful of that, I know for, a, I, I would just bet everything I have that not everyone is. <laughs> Meaning when these positions come up and there is always the hire an IU guy contingent, you know, of the fan base, I am sure you're getting phone calls. I'm sure you're getting texts. We got to get an IU guy in there. How difficult is that, or has that been for you to walk that line? I would say the thing that I've always done, and, and I think people respect it is, is that I just, and maybe that's how I sur I've survived, to be honest with you, is that I just have never crossed a line of, and I just hope that people understand that, that there's just certain things I can't talk about. And it's certainly, I, I wouldn't, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say at times, maybe that would be a little awkward or a little just challenging because you want to say, Hey, here's what's going on or here's the real deal or here's, but, but obviously, uh, you know, I've got to do my job first. And even though there have been times where people have tried to ask or say, come on, you know, what's going on, or you need to help this guy or whatever, yeah. you know, it certainly has happened, but I think people would respect me less if I was sort of phony and, and told them what they wanted to hear and then was doing something else behind their back. You know, I've just tried to be upfront. And even though it wasn't what people wanted to hear, but just say, Hey, look, I just can't talk about that. You got to respect my situation here. And, and, you know, I always felt for me going back to when I first started, whether I was working for Tim Knight or, you know, working for Fred or along the way, Dave Martin, my longtime boss, I mean, you have to be loyal to who you work for and, and, uh, or else you'll lose all respect there. And so, you know, I've just always had that in, in mind. Sure. It can be tough at, at times. So you graduate. Mm-hmm time to enter the working world. You spend some time with Tim Knight working mm -hmm. on various night enterprises. Mm -hmm. but you can't stay away for long. So how, how did you come back to IU and find a position there that would 30 years later land you this gig? What was, what was the first one there? Yeah, the first one was when I was working for Tim Knight, <clears throat> I heard an opening, there was an opening in the varsity club for a, a, a fundraiser for athletics. And I actually, I, I got my, resume in a little late. I heard about it late. I knew there was a local guy named Jeff Isom 
who I knew who had the job and he was leaving and I didn't know him real well, but I knew him. He's a really good guy. He went to Bloomington North. He was a really good basketball player. And I met him like at the hyper. And so he had this job at the varsity club. He was leaving and I applied for the job and I got my resume in late, but Dave Martin telling you all my insight here, this is a little inside information, but Dave Martin, who was a longtime varsity club director ended up being my boss. His daughter, Kelly Martin was in school with me, kind of, she was local, knew a lot of the players just from being in town. Uh, was close to Nancy Knight, Coach Knight's first wife, when I, I first met her, I think. And so Kelly knew I put my resume in. She said to her dad, you should interview this guy. He's a former manager. So she kind of got me the interview. So it's a little after the fact. So I interviewed for the job and was fortunate enough to get it and didn't know what I was doing. To be honest with you, I just got hired. And I thought, I've never asked anybody for money in, the, in my life and start with a varsity club. And my job was you know, working for athletics just to go out and get people interested in supporting IU athletics. And, you know, I'd kind of train myself. I mean, basically Dave said you can go out and, and get volunteers to help you. There was a working with the alumni association, get a volunteer network kind of statewide to help us identify people and get people involved with athletics and then just go see people. And I won't tell you the whole story because I'm telling you, it'll take 45 minutes, but I'll tell you a two second story. I'll make it really, really short, but my first gift I ever got this guy named Tom Spies. Have you heard of Spies Gym Rats? The, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. So Tom Spies, and this, this, and I tell this story when I speak to classes, and I told this story to our, the first all-staff meeting when I took over as athletic director. I told them this because it helped formulate who I am and my career and my philosophies. And But Tom Spies was my first cold call ever, and I was – I was really scared. I didn't know what I was doing. And, and it's like I said, it's this long story where I almost didn't go. And I called him and, and to go see him, total cold call. And, and when I met with him, he had a Bob Knight mannequin at his office that he had at a table with us. I mean, it's this crazy story. It's very long. But he ended up uh, saying that he would, after, his, after a few months, he said, I'll make a gift. And he, he made a $100,000 gift to establish a scholarship and track for here at IU. And when I drove back up with my boss at the time to go get the check, he had, when we walked in this room, he had the entire marching band from Wabash High School start playing the IU fight song. And he had all his hundred employees sing the fight song and he was directing them. And he had the Bob Knight mannequin and he had a person dressed up like the mop lady doing the mop lady thing. And <laughs> so they play the fight song and they all shake our hands and he comes up and he writes a check for hundred thousand dollars and he gave it to me. And he said, he says, Scott, he said, I, I knew this was your first cold call, your first gift that you were ever going to try to get for IU. And he said, I never wanted you to forget this day. And huh. which was like this crazy, I've got, I've got the check right behind me right here. I could oh, frame can the check. It? Can we see it? It's right here. So this is the check. I came back and I photocopied the check. That is awesome. <laughs> and so the, the check but the reason why it meant so much to me was not that I got the gift. I was terrible on the cold call. I'm telling you, I was, I was <laughs> nervous. I fumbled through it. I was awful. I had these brochures, but my whole thing was I almost didn't go. Like I was really like, man, I, I really didn't have an appointment with him. I almost didn't go. And then he, he told me to stop by his store on the way home. I almost didn't do that. There were all these things I almost didn't do, but I did it. And so what I told our staff, when I've told classes is that it made me, you know, I never am afraid to get out of my comfort zone. I'm never afraid not to do something. And it's how I sort of, it's how I lead. It really established because I think if I wouldn't have gone that day, it sort of changed my career in some ways from a fundraising standpoint as my first gift. And so I credit Tom Spies 
so wow. much because he thought of, to do that. It was, it's like I said, it's a long, long story, but it's, because there's so many twists to it. You guys are just cracking up, but I can't tell you right now. It's too long, but I love it. That's how I started. I, I thought for sure, Scott, that what you were going to say is that at the end of that, when the band stopped playing and Martha, the mop lady impersonator stopped, you look to Tom and go, listen, Tom, thank you. But if you could afford all this, how about another 25 grand? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, it was funny because Tom in that first meeting I had with Bob, the Bob Knight Manic at the table, he was asking me a bunch of questions that I didn't know the answer to. I mean, it's like, what's the average rate of return of our endowment fund? And then he would look at Coach Knight and say, Coach, I don't think Scott knows what he's talking about. <laughs> and then... And it was just this, you can't even make it up in a movie. And I'm like nervous. I got my briefcase and my new suit on. And I'm just, you know, it's like your first cold call on your job. So that's what got me started, Ward, was the Varsity Club. And, you know, it was an unbelievable opportunity to meet people and grow. And and just it kind of been able to survive ever since. Well, and I'm sure a great education on the financial side of running a major athletic department, because I'm guessing there was some awareness of that as you're a manager, it's, it's floating around somewhere in the background, but that's like your ultimate boot camp. in like, we need you to go get this money because it's got to pay for all these things you haven't even been thinking about. Right. That's a great point because one of the things that being in the varsity club and fundraising is you get to know a little bit about everything. So certainly the financial part and how we operate, which I had no idea until I got the job. And, you know, I thought, which a lot of people think, we you know, when Indiana basketball was rolling and when Bill Mallory was having his bowl games, I thought money was like no object. I thought we just could really do whatever we needed. And then you get into it and you realize how it works and we pay for our scholarships and, and then just in the varsity club, you learn about compliance. You learn about how sports marketing works. I can't tell you how many hours of football marketing meetings I've sat in in my career and every idea. And, you know, why don't we have John Mellencamp perform at halftime? And, and that's going to fill the state, you know, all those, all those ideas. And so I, I, I do feel like my base was really built, was really built uh, in those early years, back to being a manager and, you know, working for Tim Knight. You know, Tim Knight and I called on, shoe companies that we helped run the, the, the decision and actually was, you know, it was actually the time when Coach Knight was deciding what shoe co- contract he was going to sign. So I was with Tim Knight meeting with these different shoe companies and learned how those deals work. And who would have known back then that I would end up sort of being involved where I am today. So I'm very, very lucky. Well, look, we could do 20 hours, but we're going to hit some, some big moments here. Okay. Um, skipping ahead a little bit, you've been in the varsity club for a while. You clearly have a relationship with the Knight family in, mm-hmm. in some way that continues for years after. Mm-hmm. And then things go south in mm-hmm. 99 into 2000. And mm-hmm. Coach Knight is let go. What do you remember from that time and how difficult was that for you, somebody who clearly Coach Knight played a major role in your life? It was really, really difficult. <clears throat> it, was, it was probably, uh, you know, by far the toughest time I've had working here just because of the emotion with it. It was just so, I was just so sad because it you know, just kept thinking it just didn't have to be that way. Surely there was a way that it could have ended up some other way. You know, there's supposed to be a happy ending and it, and it yeah. wasn't supposed to be that way. But at the same time for me, I just remember because my role then in the varsity club, I thought to myself, because you know, when things go bad is when people go in their shells. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to call everybody I know and I'm going to make sure we keep people hanging in there. And I went through a time period where there probably was a three week period. And I kept, I wish I'd have kept the list, 
but I just called every donor that I knew and everybody, and I was on the phone and we're going to be okay. And what are you thinking? And I just, and, and to this day, I just think with our staff, you know, whether it's going through a pandemic or whether it's going through, you know, cause the other worst day of my career is when Bill Mowry was fired. You know, I remember that day, like it was yesterday, that was one of the more darkest days. I mean, that was tough, but those are the days when if we're doing our job, you know, it's not about us. And when coach and I was fired, it wasn't about me. It was about what did we need to do in, in the varsity club to make certain we keep this thing together. And so I've always felt it's easy to raise money. It's easy to keep people connected when things are going great. You know, anybody, when you're going to final four, you could hire anybody and they could bring people together for that. But, you know, I've always felt like when, when we're losing or times are tough is when you really get, that's when you earn your money. So, you know, I, I talked to a ton of people and just try to use that as motivation to really get out more. And, and that's what I try to inspire our staff to do. when we're going through challenges right now. I have to imagine because coach Knight always said, I should have gotten out of there six or seven years earlier. And, and you alluded to things not being great as far as support from the university, from the administration, uh, faculty side of things through that period, which no longer are the case with President McRobbie and how you felt it's been as of late. And I'm wondering if, if you were close enough to that to see the trouble as it was brewing over those years and there was on court stuff too and players leaving and and to the point being is that something where now as ad you realize how important is that you keep the coaches and the programs and the president and everybody communicating and being on the same side instead of dividing into different camps and it getting to the point where it's so toxic, something like that happens. Yeah, for sure. And I did, I did realize it at the time. I did realize there was definitely a fracture. You could feel it. And I, I felt really, really bad for Clarence Doniger uh, because I felt like he was doing all he could in an extremely difficult situation. And so again, now where I am today, and again, giving Fred credit, because I think one of the things Fred and Fred and I talked about this a lot, uh, for us to be successful, I mean, it's hard enough to beat Michigan State or beat Purdue just if you're doing things great. But when you're fractured and you're trying to do the things that we need to do to provide all the opportunities for our student athletes, it's just almost impossible. So for me, a big part of my role uh, is, and I know Fred felt this way, is we've got to be in alignment and, and with the president and, and, you know, just you've got to make certain that the faculty rep and, and we have Dr. Kurt Zorn, who's awesome and our faculty athletics committee and, and certainly our coaches and that there's an alignment there that, and if there's any challenges that we need to talk through it and make certain we're on the same page. And that's the part where, you know, like through the pandemic and what we've been through and just the, the pausing of football, uh, I feel really fortunate because, you know, I talked to Tom Allen twice a day, every day and talked to the president and I feel like we're really in alignment and understand where we all are and talk through things. And that's just really, really critical for us to be able to operate the level we need to. Well, let's talk about that for a second, because I do think there is a narrative out there that President McRobbie is anti-athletics. Mm -hmm. I mean, you see it written about from journalists, you see it talked about on message boards. And here's the honest to God truth. We don't have the slightest clue. <laughs> right. We don't. Here's what we know. We're not winning the way we want to win. So we look for someone to blame. I mean, that is the truth. It's most often the coaches. Sometimes it's the athletic director, which hopefully that'll never happen to you, Scott. <laughs> but look, that's the job, right? Yeah, yeah, I get it. 
and and so there have been and there have been certain things that people point to and and i'll just bring up you know the story of president McRobbie taking some of the big 10 network money and building the international studies building for example um but again we don't know so right. what can you tell us about the relationship there and that narrative yeah what i can tell you is and i and i think i probably have a more interesting perspective than most just because of my history and so having been here when there isn't at times the support that you need or the alignment and now knowing what it's been like under president robbie i take president robbie every day all day and i'm not saying it because i work for him but i'm telling you uh from my perspective and and this is not, you know, I'll preface it again. It's not the company line. It's not saying he's, and he's basically, you know, he's going to be done in June 30th. I mean, he's retiring. So really no, you could, you could shit all over him if you want. I have nothing to gain by saying this, but he, he definitely, he cares. He understands. He supports. He, he understands where athletics fits. I mean, he's got a huge job. And, and so believe me, you, I, I don't think any athletic director would want or need a president who wants to run the department every day. Uh, but at the same time, you need a president who understands and can be supportive and that you can uh, make recommendations to and they're going to listen. And, and, you know, I just from my perspective, historically here, um, he's he's been really, really good. And, and believe me, the, the fact that if people if people think that he's not competitive or doesn't want to win, I've been around him what we've lost. And I mean, I'm telling you. There's no question he's as competitive as they come. I mean, he wants to win. Now, again, there's all perspective. He understands, and he should have perspective. And I think I would argue that if he had perspective wrong, he wouldn't be the right president. But for us, and, you know, the proof is in the pudding when you look at our investment under him and all that we've done, the facts are the facts. And, and again, if, if you would call my wife right now before talking to me or, or, or not knowing that we talked, and you said to my wife on the phone, what has Scott said repeatedly about administration at IU since he took over July 1? She would say he talks about how supportive President Robbie's been and how much he enjoys uh, talking to him about the challenges we're in and how su supportive he is. When I, he, he gives me confidence. He wants to know what I think. He wants my recommendations. And, and I, certainly he will, he will debate them if he feels he needs to. But uh, I, I couldn't be more fortunate. And I just hope we have a president who supports us like he has in the next president. Will you have any input in that process? Will you get to talk to a potential president before that vote is taken and that hire is made? Or are you just going to have to take what you get? I think just take what I'll take what I'll get, I think, is what I assume. And um, which is, is fine. I trust the, you know, the board of trustees are, are really good and, and strong. And I, and I, I feel mean, for like now, could, for it now, it could be a little better. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. And, you know, you've got to have confidence and, you know, and the key thing is, it's what I said earlier, you've got to know who you work for and understand, uh, you know, the, the expectations. And, uh, you know, I would expect that whoever the next president is would want us to, you know, we want the same things in terms of the complete, you know, a holistic support of our student athlete. We want to win in every way, shape or form. We want to graduate. We want our, all the things that make us feel good about being IU fans. And that's where I am. Cause you said earlier, I'm a fan, which I totally hundred percent I am. But the one thing that I would say is that 
and again, if you talk to my wife, she would tell you this, that <clears throat> I'm also the, the fan part of me shuts off when I'm in the business because I've got to keep my head in the game from a business standpoint. And that goes back to years. I think that's just the way I, I can't make, I've got to make certain that I understand that as bad as I want things as a fan, I've got to understand the business and make sound good business decisions and can't get too emotional about it. And, and I think I've got the ability to do that. I know I do. I would have this job, but that's an important part of it because I definitely am a fan, but I get paid. I, I get paid to work here and I'm very fortunate to do that. And I look at this like I'm not entitled to it in that I've got a job to do. And so when I come to games, I'm working. So I, I don't anticipate being at games ever. I've always been this way when I'm at games, you know, I look at people like, they may look at me like, man, he gets to be here free. I'm paying for my tickets. And I understand that. So I'm, I'm not going to the game like it's a – I'm a fan going to the game. I'm working for you as the fans. And I'm, I'm working. And I want our staff to be working. And they know that's how I feel. And, and that's just kind of how I've been. So on the business side of things, because that is, you know, first and foremost, your job. It seems like there are three giant revenue streams. And we're talking about uh, – a time amidst this global pandemic where everything is challenged from mm -hmm. a monetary standpoint, but obviously you have ticket sales and truthfully, there's things you can do promotionally to spur ticket sales, but winning is what spurs ticket sales. Mm -hmm. And that football stadium will fill if coach Allen continues the trajectory that he's on. Mm -hmm. There's TV money, like mm -hmm. media money, TV radio deals. Now your TV money is mostly taken care of because of big 10 network. Right, it's there's all, other. I'll take. Well, it's 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 just some the big games, right? It's just the it's just the Big Ten TV deal. So the Big Ten TV deal includes the Big Ten Network. It includes Fox and CBS and, and and ESPN. But it's it's certainly a comprehensive deal that the conference negotiates. We don't control that. And you don't control, like, let's say, let's just throw this out. You make a non-conference agreement with a team like Kentucky for basketball. Mm -hmm. If that series mm -hmm. were to ever come back, and mm -hmm. you. When that TV deal is negotiated, that isn't negotiated by the schools. That's negotiated by the Big Ten. That's already that's already a part of the Big Ten if the Big Ten agreement. So that's all spelled out in the Big Ten agreement. So okay. we're not free agents in any deal that we cut, like a, a game like you mentioned. Okay, so you've got ticket sales are taken care of by winning, basically. Yep. TV money is taken care of because of these pre-existing deals. The mm -hmm. third leg of this seems to be merchandising. That, that, that merchandise and licensing the IU logo and the Indiana trademarks could be a source of revenue. And amongst fans, we have for years been woefully disappointed in the merchandise. For Indiana, when we look at other schools, they just seem better. <laughs> now, I'm wearing a shirt that I'm very proud of. Yeah. Uh, it was Ward. Uh, I like <laughs> it. And I will say the shoes that just came out, the Ultra Boost Adidas shoes that came out, everybody mm -hmm. loves universally. But is that an area that you are focused on? And is that an area of potential growth for Indiana? Well, well, let me say this. Um, and it's funny because I, I swear that somebody planned, I don't I hope nobody planned that question with you. <laughs> that's, that, but I, I'm impressed that you asked that question. Uh, but let me back up for one second. The third leg of the stool is really the varsity club and fundraising. Okay. So when you look at the major revenue sources, it's really ticket sales, TV, and fundraising. That's the, the main Got it. sources. But then what you brought up is there's certainly sources out there that we can improve on and that are certainly it's, it's good money. Uh, but those are the main ones. But what you said about apparel sales, the reason why I'm laughing is, is that, you know, for the past 
three weeks, we've got someone in our marketing office that's great. His name's Jonathan Benedict, and he had some time because of pandemic, and we've had him studying what other schools are doing in terms of their apparel sales or online offerings and what they're doing in similar schools to us. And he put together a phenomenal report on that that really was, was eye-opening. And we looked at that. And certainly, you know, our partnership with Adidas is, is, is a part of that. But we're looking at, and that is, and this is getting a little out of my comfort zone. I'm going to admit this is because I like to under-promise and over-deliver. I don't like to I use that all the time with our staff and it, and it drives them crazy because I don't want to be out saying we're going to do this, we're going to do that because I'd rather uh, make it happen than, than say it. But that is an area that we're looking really into big time. And I think we have a, an upside there, both from a financial standpoint, which is important, obviously. But I just think, you know, in the role that I've been, I've heard fans for years just frustrated with maybe the lack of availability of quality stuff. And with our Adidas deal, we should we should do a better job with that. And uh, but but the shoes that you just mentioned, the the new shoes that are out, I just heard yesterday that we were the top seller of the that model of shoe out of any school, which is cool. Wow. Awesome. Well, look, I it's more than cool. You you have a captive audience who is yeah. waiting for this yeah. stuff. So it seems like like look i know it's difficult because it's a big ship that you have to steer to get that right. moving but it's right. also beyond the money it's the brand you right. know what i mean the merchandise and the way people become your evangelists for the program that's important you know it if you're seen as the cool the school with cool stuff that trickles to everything so i do think that we, that's important we are 100% on the same page on that and, and looking into any way that we can take that to another level. So I'm, I'm excited about the opportunities that are out there. And, and again, want to under promise over deliver, but I couldn't agree with you more for multiple reasons, but well, we're, we're well, on that. And it's, you know, you're talking to two walking billboards for Indiana university <laughs> yeah. representing on the West coast, but we were walking in a neighborhood, my family and I, that we'd never been in before because we're looking for new places to walk after six months Right. And my wife gasps and we met, we met in Bloomington and there was an IU flag hanging in, in front of this house. And then we see this guy collecting his mail and he's got it on and my wife's got it on. And we're like, ah. <laughs> a half hour later, it's dark. We didn't get our walk in, but we met Doug from La Crescenta. And I think it's just one thing, the, the more cool stuff that's out there, it just, it leads to people wanting to wear it more, spend more money on it, maybe less inclined to like go to Kirkwood where maybe you guys aren't really seeing everything you should be from that swag and that it goes back to the department. I was wondering on the, the Learfield side of things, mm -hmm. is, that, is that deal still ongoing? Because with the, the radio and stuff like that, I just wasn't really able to find where that's at. And if in this day and age with the internet and the Big Ten Network, how I, I think you were pretty instrumental in the last deal that was made. Mm -hmm. That's still uh, a big deal in 2020. Yeah, it still is. And so that's all, you know, it's our multimedia deal, which is our radio rights and all of our corporate advertising. And, you know, we've got, I believe, eight years left on our deal. We signed a new 10-year deal probably a year and a half ago. So okay. maybe we have a little over eight years left. But certainly with, with the pandemic and all that's going on with that, you know, there, there are challenges everywhere. So we're, we're, we're talking to them. How can we, because we're partners and that's how it works. And we want to make certain that, you know, we're planning for the future on that. I think there is an upside there as well, but uh, we've got to kind of weather the storm on that. But they've been, we've been a Learfield school for 
I want to say 30 years, somewhere in there. And, and they've done a terrific job. And of course, Don Fisher, and a lot of people don't realize this because Don Fisher has never worked for IU. You know, Don works for Learfield Communications and IU Sports Properties. And is, but, but Don is, I, I've said, and you guys would agree, I'm sure. I mean, Don is, is he's as iconic and he's kind of been, I've, I've said to him before, we went through our tough time back. We talked about when Coach Knight was fired and Bill Mallory and things. I remember going to a golf outing one time you know, one of our varsity club outings around the state. And it was, it was Don and I, and, you know, a ragtag, a group from the athletic department. And, you know, Don was that voice and, and, and no pun intended, but there just was the stabilizing factor that made people feel like everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. He kind of got us through, you know, when Don's voice is heard, he'd MC a program for us that, because we went through so many challenges over, over the years that, just made things feel some there's certain people that make make it feel like well things are gonna be okay and he's he's certainly one of those but he's always worked for Learfield Tim Garl one of those guys too (laughs) for sure Tim Garl does make you feel like everything's gonna be okay I'll tell you what he makes you feel is gonna be okay is your butt when you blow it out at the Camp. That's what he makes you think it's gonna be okay. Well, don't ask Tim Garl what kind of manager I was because if he would have been he probably I would have never got the job if they would have asked him. Uh, Scott, I have to ask, and I know you like to underpromise and overdeliver, but we want to play Kentucky. Sure. You know, every yeah. fan wants it. There, there is, yeah. there, there, believe us, we know that fans at Indiana will argue about everything. <laughs> Not about this. Yeah. We want to play the best teams in the country. Kentucky yep. is the preeminent program, them and Duke, really, in the world of college basketball. And it's part of our upbringing playing Kentucky. It's part of the lure of playing at Indiana that you have that big game. Every player we've talked to remembers the Kentucky games that they played. Mm-hmm. And it sucks that we don't play them. Right. What is the latest that you can tell us on that? Yeah. Let me, and let me just say, Eric, you know, I, I totally agree. You know, I grew, I mentioned to you in 1975, the game when they beat us, you know, yes. that, that broke my grandfather's heart. And when I fell in love with IU basketball. So, you know, there's no, one that's a bigger fan of that series or what that means. And, you know, I think back to when I was a manager in the RCA Dome, we played them in the half blue, half red, and the big flags came yes. out. There's nothing like that. So, you know, you know, there's nothing that I would want more uh, for both schools for us to get back together again and, and get that series going. And so I think it'll just take time. You know, I, I you know, would be less than honest if I didn't tell you that that is something that's really important to me. It really is. And at the right time, hopefully we can make it happen. And, uh, is it fair to say that you're working on it? I think it would be fair to say that it, that it's it's really important that at the right time we can get that going. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, and, yeah. and I and I'd say also, you know, it's it's interesting because of Archie's relationship with with John Calipari, which is kind of a cool story. It's really funny because Archie's yeah, uncle, family, they're basically yeah, Ar- Archie's uncle Tim, who I've met a few times at games, who's been to games, is still I think. You know, they're somehow related. I don't know how it all works, but they're really, really close. And it's kind of funny. It's just a, a neat story. And now with Bruiser down there, uh, you know, hopefully at some point when all the ducks come in line or ducks in line and the stars line up, whatever, we can get that going because it, it would be great for college basketball. And, and uh, we'll just see how, how that goes. Now, I'm wondering sort of post-coach night leaving, we as fans, and I'm sure even w- when you can step away from the job, you, you feel this too, and in other ways, very much feel it in the different jobs you've had. This roller coaster of Coach Davis comes in, 
takes over because it seemed like that was the thing to do at the moment. We get to the title game. He gets the extension, starts kind of falling apart. Kelvin Sampson, Coach Crean. What what have you learned through that about the up and downs, particularly of the basketball program, that now that you're going to be the one calling the shots, what have you taken from the highs and lows of that run to kind of prepare you for when it's time to offer an extension or when it's time to look for a new coach, not in any one particular sport, but mm -hmm. any sport? Yeah, I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier in terms of the, the consistency. And for me, uh, and, I, and I really believe this, I mean, I think the pillars are you've got to understand. And as an athletic director, I've got to understand better than anyone where we are from a recruiting standpoint. You know, what, do, what are we, as I evaluate any of our programs, what are, we, what are we trying to do? What's our philosophy there? What's our plan? And then, and then for me, how are we doing against that plan? So, so again, just hypothetically, any sport, if a sport says it's really important to us that we, we recruit the state of Indiana, it's really important. But then I look at our last three recruiting classes and, and we don't have anybody from the state of Indiana. What's going on? Are there no good players in the state of Indiana? I'm talking about any sport. I'm talking about swimmers. It could be anything. And so, so, so those pillars of, of consistently in recru consistency in recruiting, how are we developing our student athletes? Knowing for me to understand what is our plan there? What are we looking for? So I can see, are we developing our, our kids? Is there a development problem? Are we coaching them up? And then from a style, how are we going to win? You know, again, not to repeat myself, but to me, you've got to have that. How, what, and then what are we doing from a leadership standpoint? So as I evaluate that, I've got to have a feel. And, you know, fans can see, which, again, I'm a fan. I'm a Cub fan. So I see what I see from the Cubs. But I don't know. Uh, I see the tip of the iceberg, but there's a lot beneath the surface. And it's my responsibility to know what's below the surface here. So whenever there's any change in any sport, there always could be a, a, a situation where it can look better from a fan perspective and fans might say, wow, why did you make a change then? Because it seems like things are going well. And I can think of a couple of situations where we've had here where optically people might think, well, I'm just not sure I understand that. But if you go below the surface, uh, which you can't always sometimes explain, it might have been obvious or it could be the opposite. It looks really bad on the, on the surface. The iceberg looks awful, but you go below and it's like, hey, things are really pretty good. We're right on the verge. Things are going well. And so my job, and again, it's, it's, I'm a feel person. I just am. And that's, you got to be who you are. And uh, I've got to make certain I'm, I'm, I'm in deep enough that I have a feel for what's going on for all of our programs, but obviously football and basketball because of the, the revenue they drive and just what they mean to the overall health of the program. Uh, certainly, you know, I've got to be in real deep on those for, for, for sure. And you're just taking in like a thousand pieces of information and opinions. And then that feel is something you're so incredibly informed that then it literally comes down to a, a gut thing for you. The feel once to process all that information. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, also, Scott, if you're ever in a bind, just call us. We'll <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We'll give, you, we'll give you an opinion. We'll make it quick. For sure. I well, a, I, that goes without saying. I mean, <laughs> that feel, and then I get the feel from you guys, of course. I, I of had course. an old boss who gave me this piece of advice, which on the surface is funny, but there is a lot of merit to it. It is often wrong, never in doubt. 
<laughs> which look on some level I do I have learned to appreciate it because in what I do for a living beyond the podcast when you're running an organization people need leadership they need decisions <laughs> and sometimes the wrong decision a decisive wrong decision is much better than indecision right like right. It, and it's okay to be wrong you can't be right on every one but, but I do on some level. But what I will say is Ward and I are often wrong. So, so if you need that. but look, It's kind of how we've go, built this thing. Yeah. <laughs> before we let you go, we do this with everybody who's been on the podcast who has spent a bunch of time in Bloomington. We got to ask you some, some classic Bloomington questions. So okay. I think we already hit the pizza one. I think you're a Mother Bears and Cafe Pizzeria guy. I would I'm assume. You, and I am a pizza, like, I, I, I'm pizza crazy. Yes, I love that. All right, favorite restaurant in Bloomington besides those? I would say Malibu Grill. All right. I'm a Malibu Grill fan. If, if, if Heidi and I are going out to dinner and we just wanted to get out, uh, I think Malibu Grill. We've never had a bad meal or a bad time there. And Chick is awesome and just a great feel. I, I, I'm a big Malibu Grill fan. When it was a bad day at the office, a team didn't come home with the W, you need, you know, a beverage to take the edge off. Well, where can you go and get in the corner where nobody will bother you? Where's your favorite place that, to have a libation or when you're celebrating or when you're celebrating? Well, you know, a, a little known fact about me is that, which nobody should know but I, or would know, but I was a bartender at Kilroy's. I didn't mention before the Tim oh, Knight no. thing. So I was, you talk about my experience that I grew up with. And, and, and so I, after basketball season, my senior year, I bartended at Kilroy's and Linda Prawl, the owner, I was tied with her. Another manager, friend of mine, Greg Burton, we were, we were bartenders together. So I've got a long history of Kilroy's. My stepson, Sam, was a bartender at Kilroy's who graduated three and a half years ago. And then my stepson, Zach, was a bartender at Kilroy's. So we've got a history. Wow. So we're like legacies there. <laughs> so we've been, I've, I've bartended, but I, I tend to, I, I'm not a, a, a certainly a, a prude or anything, but I, I just, and that's why I laughed. When you guys asked me on the show, I told Eric right away, Ward, I don't know if he told you this, but I'm like, man, this is for the, like, players, man. I'm a former manager. I'm going to be so boring. People aren't going to like it. It's no, gonna, but I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty boring when it comes to going out and stuff like that now. I just laugh. You have bigger fish to fry, but it's one of those ones where when we look back at our Bloomington times, those are memories that we've largely forgotten because of what was going on those nights. <laughs> well, Ward has. That's true. That's true. Eric, Eric doesn't fall into that category. But even going back now, we're not going to the dorms or the varsity villas to party anymore. So it's, <laughs> besides Assembly Hall, where we really reconnect with this community of a few people we did go to school with, but even more so now the, the new people we've come connected with through the podcast it is you know often at nicks where everybody can kind of pretend that we're in college again for a couple of nights it's it's cool to go back to well that is awesome and my youngest son nick because i've got five kids three stepsons luke sam and zach and then a daughter Kristen, and my son nick nick's the youngest and he's a junior here at iu he's a junior in the fiji house and so for dad's weekend you know going to hang out with him is so that's you know love that that's just the best ever yes. just you know having it's just been having all of our kids go to school here has been really really cool and they didn't have to but they did and you know they've grown up in the athletic department Heidi and I have been married for 14 years and 
we've just been really, really lucky. And so when I did get this job, it was a really cool family thing. And we had a, that, that, like I told you that night was really special. And they're there. My daughter's in Chicago. Sam was in Chicago, but just for us to get together, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's about as good as it gets with them. Least favorite class that you took at Indiana. Oh, history. I am. I'm the, I'm, I'm telling you, in fact, I just said this to our staff yesterday, because sometimes on our staff Zoom means you got to do some stuff to keep people going because it's Zoom. And like the other day, we were in such a heavy time and people were down. And, and so the meeting was just, you know, it was just stuff and heavy stuff. And finally, towards the end, I'm like, all right, we're gonna talk about our favorite movies, man. We just talked about what everyone's favorite movie was and like got laughing. And, but man, I was telling them about history class. I would try so hard to pay attention. I'm like, I'm going into this. I'm going to take good notes. And man, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> I just couldn't do what it. What is your favorite movie? My favorite movie of all time is Rocky. Nice. Good choice. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I like, and I mean, I like Rocky. But then again, then we'll go into, I told the student, I should not say this, but I'm again, I'm, you guys, I'm tired, probably a long day. You guys are getting me like you're breaking That's what me we down. Do. We wear you down. <laughs> where are we down? But I told the student athletes, we had a, a, a tough meeting and it was just kind of some stuff. And I said, look, and they thought I was going to say something really tough at the end because it was a tough meeting. We had, we had a couple throughout the pandemic. And I said, look, you can have fun in the pandemic. Okay. There's nothing against having fun. You just got to keep it, so, keep socially distant. We got to adhere to it. But I'm just telling you, and you can thank me later. I said, I got three movies for you. And if you watch these, you're going to thank me later. I said, you got to watch either Dumb and Dumber, <laughs> Step Brothers, or The Nutty Professor. And I said, how Eddie Murphy did not win an Academy Award for The Nutty Professor, I have no idea. And, and the student athletes, and it's funny because some of the staff that was on the call, I saw Maddie White, who's our, our senior women administrator, deputy AD. And as I said it, I kind of looked, and they're just covering their head and they're laughing. <laughs> I love but, it. You know, at times you got to be, you got to lighten it up a little bit Ew. because it, these are such heavy times. And, and for the next six months on every Zoom, somebody's going to go, Hercules, Hercules. <laughs> <laughs> well, Scott, listen, uh, not to divulge too much, but you and I uh, have known each other for well over a decade now. Yep. And yep. Uh, I, you know, we, I think we struck up an instant friendship when we first met because we share this bond of the love of Indiana, truthfully, is where it mm -hmm. starts. Mm -hmm. And it's been really fun to watch what you've been doing in Indiana. And especially, I mean, look, I celebrated a little when they gave you the job, you know, and, you, well, and, and by that. the way, you did earn it. And you, you well, have earned that. it for 33 years. So what you have done, what you're committed to doing at Indiana, I know what you're, the, the way you've communicated your vision to us and in other outlets, we are proud that we got an Indiana guy running the Indiana Athletic Department. And uh, we're behind you. We love what you're doing. If there's anything we can do in our small corner of the world to help, we want to. Or not do. Or not do. Well, no, 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 don't tell us that stuff. That doesn't. And while I'm not going to put you on the spot, we will be coming to you to support our campaign for me to be on the board of trustees. But because, hey, hey well, me, every athletic director needs friends on the board of trustees. Yeah. Well, let me just say, I, you know, personally for you two, man, I, I said this to you each individually, but I appreciate so much as a lifelong fan what you guys have done for Indiana basketball, for IU athletics. I, I mean that. I mean, you guys are fun, you care, and uh, it's been particularly uh, during the pandemic when we needed. 
to keep things going, but it was obviously prior to that, but we are, I appreciate that. And I appreciate your friendship too. And, and like I said, and I, you know, I just gotta be honest. That's how I feel. You know, I feel honored to have this opportunity. I feel, you know, lucky. I'm grateful. And, uh, and, you know, don't feel entitled to it. I just want to want to do a good job. And, and that's what I want to do. And, and I'm proud of our staff. We've got a really, we've got a great team here. And, you know, with, with that, team and with you guys helping and, and our fans out there, you know, I think anything can happen and as long as we work hard and keep doing what we do. So. Well, Scott, I think when Eric introduced us, the first impression I took away was just that you connect with anybody you speak with. It became very obvious in, in the first conversation and the couple we've had since then that like communication and you being so good at it is why you're now in this position and even coming on this program, I think it's so great for everybody out there who hasn't had a chance to interact with you to understand what a great communicator you are and what asset that is to the university and why things couldn't be tougher. But wherever things go in the years to come, you're going to get through it and you're, you're just going to kill it because when everybody feels they're being heard, you're just going to all row in the same direction. And obviously that's something you've learned from your time and you can now implement calling the shots. So I'm really excited to see those results out on the court and just with everybody becoming one big happy family again after the major fracture we've been through, it feels like we're all finally back together again. Well, I appreciate that. And that, and that's what the goal is. And, and maybe it is going back to my manager days. I just feel like, you know, obviously I'm in a leadership role and, and I'm, I'm, proud of that. I, I, I want that pressure. I really, it doesn't bother me, but I, I don't feel it because of what you just said. I feel like together, and that's what I want to do is I want to bring people together because I think the way we can make things happen is, is getting the right people together. And it's, and I can't do it alone. Uh, and, and certainly I don't want to do it alone. I want, I want to make certain we've got everyone together on it. And that's, that's the key. But again, appreciate you guys. And, and thanks for all your, again, all you're doing and, and I appreciate your, your, allowing me to be on the program because like i said i was afraid uh, i said to i said to eric ward i'm like man nobody's gonna want to listen to a former manager no here's Look, the thing here's they want the thing. to i mean you are the first manager we've had on you you have some other qualifications <laughs> that that got it here but it, it's people that coach knight brought into the program it blows our mind you know the dozens and dozens we've had on just the exceptional personalities the intelligence the work ethic the collaborative mentality every time we're like wow how are there so many solid dudes who came through that and obviously that's part of something he recognized in everybody early on and brought them in and then something he stilled in them but you you held your own. There's there's we're not going to be well, like well that was a dud. I guess Coach Knight <laughs> and in a very unique perspective. So thank you. And, and let's not forget, we just wanted to show all the kids out there what you can actually do with a SPIA degree. <laughs> I mean, that was the head of Indiana University athletic department. Top top tippy top pinnacle peak apex captain of the ship he doesn't act like it at all yeah he's just look i i, I have known him a little bit for like i said a, a little over a decade even more than that he was the same guy when i first met him nothing has changed he like you were bringing up it was good points when you meet him and i'm sure he learned this through some of it had to be cultivated 
from being a fundraiser where you sure. do have to connect to somebody to get them to agree to give you money, but also it's just who he is as a human. He is an empathetic guy. He likes to communicate with people. He listens. He invests in what you're saying. And the thing that I love more than anything is he loves Indiana. Like we always talk about you need an Indiana guy to be the head coach of Indiana. Like, you know, that's a huge argument. I think it's probably more important to have an Indiana guy at the head of the Indiana University Athletic Department. And that is what he is. I mean, he, he cares so deeply about that position and what his role is and has a tremendous respect for it that I admire that. I think that's a really cool thing. And to your point, he not only gets what Indiana basketball was and is and what we want it to always be fundamentally, obviously with the, the wins and the titles and the championships coming back into the picture sooner rather than later, but having been there, been a part of the program when it was the best program in college basketball, bar none, he knows what it takes. He's seen what it takes and to do it the right way at Indiana, if, if whoever is there, if it's Archie or anybody else, isn't doing it the way it needs to be done here, he'll recognize that. I just want to win. I, I just want to win. And I like that he wants to win. And look, he's flat out said, like, Indiana can win. He thinks we can win a Rose Bowl. You know, he doesn't see financial impediments getting in the way. Look, I thought one of the most interesting things was – and look, our very own Jeff Rabjohns, there's probably no more vocal critic of Michael McRobbie than Jeff Rabjohns in the public sphere. Um, I mean, maybe some other radio pundits and stuff, but, but Jeff has been way out there about Michael McRobbie. And, and I'm, you know, it'll be interesting to talk to him after this. Because, look, Scott gave him a, a pretty full-throated endorsement. You know, he's been here for a long time, and he said, I wouldn't trade him for anybody. Like, I've been really critical of McRobbie. I didn't like when the money went away from the Big Ten Network and it didn't go to building a brand new cook hall or giving the, look, this unrestricted money thing I thought was really interesting. You know, I never really thought about that from an Indiana University basketball perspective. So could that money have just been funneled to unrestricted money so that the department, when they need to go buy something that is important, they're able to go buy it? Like, I was upset about that. So I've been critical of McRobbie mostly because I have believed the narrative that he is anti-athletics, or at least, at, at best, not supportive of it. The head guy's telling us that's not true. Yeah, and the echo chamber we do live in, we yeah. really do, as Peaksters, God bless us all, we'll, we'll feed into those narratives and then it just bounces back and forth and back and forth until it becomes religion, uh, that just something everybody accepts as the case, but it's a good thing to keep in mind going forward and to know whatever maybe issue Scott has had, or m actually more that Fred might have had with Michael McRobbie, who knows what's going to come in next. You know, obviously you're going to have a huge say in that as a future trustee. <laughs> <laughs> look, the devil, you know, right? Like, yeah, no, exactly. Devil you know. But, but again, let's also say this. Scott's a great communicator. He's a super smart guy, even though he graduated with a SPIA degree. He, he, he knows what he's doing in the world of PR a little bit. Even if he didn't like President McRobbie, he wouldn't shit on him publicly. He just wouldn't. Right. But, but said, to your point, he wouldn't was, be as full-throated as he was in his support. 
And that's what, yeah, that's what gets me. Like, that's what gives me pause to just go, maybe pump the brakes a little and at least consider it. And I'm curious to talk to Rabbi about it. I really am. But man, I just love the stories of him being a manager. I love it. Well, but I did want to circle back yeah. real quick to that before that with the unrestricted funds, yeah. right? Because money's coming in from Big Ten Network and it's just incredible amounts of cash. And you're thinking about the university as a whole, if you're President McRobbie, but that kind of fund, I just feel like there are so many people we know who are like, okay, I'm going to give you some money, but I, I just want it to be the rainy day fund for Archie Miller. Like I want it to be his personal go-to for a trip to Europe or whatever coach Miller deems is most helpful to getting more wins out of this program. I know that my check is going straight to that slush fund. I feel like that's going to be a pretty easy sell for Scott and whoever's helping him with it for a lot of alumni who quite frankly, their primary concern is success of the basketball program. I agree. I think the complication here is what Scott articulated a little bit, which is they have $20 million that they have to hit every year to just pay for scholarships. That has to happen or they don't have scholarship money. And, and no, my understanding is the university does not funnel. There's no tuition money going to the athletic department to fund any of that 20 million. So they have to every year get money from their donors to do that. They have to, or, or make money, I should say. The department has to generate revenue to pay for that and get donations that add up to that, plus all the other things. Well, donations have dried up because of COVID. The revenue has dried up because of COVID. So they're in a bind. So like he was saying, the balance of meeting your requirements for that. Like he said, we can't have a year where we go get 2 million for unrestricted money for basketball and come up 2 million short on the scholarship fund. They have to get 20 for the scholarship fund. So it's a real dance. And I'll just speak from personal experience. When I have talked to them about making a gift of any kind, they have pushed hard to get that money to go to the scholarship fund. And I have fought back and said, <laughs> I don't want it going to somebody playing water polo on scholarship. Right. I want it going to cook all, you know, I want it going to new shoes for the, ba I like, I, I'd rather go to anything for the basketball program before it went to that. But as they have said, like, and by the way, we didn't get into this, but the way IU works too with people who give money and those of you who do give money, you know, this, you earn points that give you like alumni points that give you access to tickets and things like that, like to purchase tickets for NCAA tournament games or bowl games, you get more points when you, when you donate money to the scholarship fund. If you said, I just want to donate this to the basketball program, in the past, that doesn't earn you the same points for your status as going straight into the scholarship fund. So it's a real dance and it's, um, He's got a lot of, that's a, that's a heavy job, man. That's a heavy job. But you brought up the 20 million in scholarships and the conversation sort of moved on. But I wanted to point out at the time, so I'll do it now, what a tremendous responsibility, but also gift to however many athletes that $20 million represents. That's like $20 million of education they're footing the bill for every year 
And as we know, in 18 of those sports, it's not because those athletes are bringing in money. They are representing the school. Why 18? Oh, sorry, uh, 22. Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was stuck on the 20 number. Right, right. So, but but for, for 22 programs, they're not bringing anything in. And those are young men and women who both athletically and academically uh, we hope uh, are really representing the school well, well, and then we'll go out into the world and hopefully remember that education they earned from the university, but ultimately the athletic department paid for and, you know, pay it back in kind, obviously would be a, a nice long-term benefit of that. But what a tremendous thing Scott is in charge of, of getting that many kids a year, a quality education for you know the time they're putting in on the athletic fields and courts i think that's well said uh i want to bring up one thing that we talked about off the podcast we just didn't have time to bring up but fred glass established the 24 sports one team bullshit i'll say it scott dolson would never call it bullshit by the way no but scott gave a press conference not that long ago with the media and there, the idea of the financial shortfall because of COVID came up and somebody asked him about, is IU looking at removing sports like many schools have already done to cut expenses? Because Scott did talk about cutting expenses. And his response, and, and don't hold me to this, but it was basically, that's the last resort. And that bothered me. And again, I didn't bring it up on the podcast, but Scott and I talked about it before the podcast, and I think he'd be fine with me bringing this up. That bothered me because to me, cutting men's or women's water polo is not the last resort. Like that should not be the last resort when it comes to where are you going to allocate the funds that you have. The last resort should be taking a penny away from Indiana men's basketball. The second to last resort should be taking a penny away from Indiana men's football. You know, like that, those should be the last two resorts. Because we had brought this up before. And the idea being that those investments in those two sports are truly that investments, everything you put into that, you get back more, keep those two fully funded, max funded, overfunded. They succeed. They make more and more money. And all of those programs can come back better than ever because the two flagship programs are making more money than ever. Yes. So two points on that. So Scott's response to that was, you're totally right. And it's not even a thought in my head to ever take money away from basketball or football. Great. So he's like, I don't even think of it as a last resort. It's a non-starter. So I was happy to hear him say that. But to your point, and this is a longer conversation, and maybe we'll do another one with Scott, you know, down the road a little. You're right that the rising tide lifts all ships. If football is making a bunch of money and basketball is making a bunch of money, it helps fund all the rest of the sports. The, the, the flip side to that is that 24 sports is just too many. Mm. And that it, and there's other schools that do more, by the way, which I get it. There's a lot of schools that do less. But there is an argument to be made that it shouldn't trickle down that far, the money, that it is trickling down and we would be better off at basketball if the sports on the other end of the spectrum weren't there and more money went to basketball so that that unrestricted money fund that he's talking about making, like, just think about it. I mean, it's simple math. If two sports go away, 
think about how many scholarships that is. Think about how much easier it is to get the money for the scholarship fund. Think about all the donors then you can call. All that money could be siphoned into an unrestricted money for basketball. And are we suffering in basketball because we are spread too thin as a department that does not have the revenue stream from football that some of these other schools that are succeeding in both, even in our conference, you know, schools like a Michigan or Ohio State or a Wisconsin, they're all flourishing in both sports, Michigan State, because they have the, the football revenue. So mm -hmm. they, there's no concern about not having enough money. We don't have that. So are we spreading too thin on the, on the tail end? I think it's a, that's a worthwhile conversation to have with, we should have it with Rabbi. Uh, we've touched on it with Rabbi, but I would love to follow up with Scott on that as well. Well, and certainly with your fellow trustees. <laughs> yeah, you notice he did not throw out any inkling of support. I, I thought there was exactly 0% chance you would get that endorsement. Zero? On air. All right. Might have to work on that one. I think you're right, though. We mm -hmm. might have to really, do you think he said the words, Eric, trustee, anywhere in, I think he would have, I think we can cut it together. You're so going to deep fake? Like, yeah. You're going to deep fake Scott We're going to deep fake Scott Dolson. <laughs> yeah. We got to work on that one. I should just call him on a phone call and just, Hey, could you do me? Like, just get him to say things. Yeah. You know, one, one crucial word planted in each sentence. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I love talking to him. You and I have had the pleasure of being in his presence and meeting him a few times when we've gone back to Bloomington. He's never been anything but gracious. I'm going to tell this story now. We should tell this okay. story, my dad's story with Scott Dolson. Oh, yeah. So we were in uh, Cook Hall. We were just kind of hanging out, hoping to see anybody. And Scott comes around. And it, it's me, Ward, my dad, Ward's dad. Was it just us four? Was it Buzz and Jensen? No, no, no. My dad wasn't on that trip. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I think it was just us four. And Scott comes around and we, he very nice. We have a little conversation. And by the way, in that conversation, he told us how much he respected Archie as a CEO. Right. That he really was impressed by that. Like he, that's been a, that's been a, a refrain that he's been, you know, spouting really early on in Archie's tenure. And, and we're in Cook Hall. There's clearly like practice players going in and out. And my dad decides to just start shitting on Justin Smith. <laughs> it's a very echoey yes. chamber. Like the sound really bounces around. Him. I mean, I think my dad said something like, yeah, you know, I get all that, but we got to really do something about this Justin Smith. <laughs> and I'm looking at my dad, what are you doing? He's telling the, athletic, the deputy athletic director at the time, he's got a problem with Justin Smith. I mean, even you and I have enough class not to do that. And then who walked through the door like 10 seconds later? Was it Justin? No, it was Archie Miller. Oh, Archie Miller, yeah. <laughs> he didn't say a word to us. No, he, he drove right by. We got to talk to the guy who sits in the most important seat when it comes to IU Athletics. Um, it's cool to be able to shoot the shit with him and, and kind of have him open up on what it means to just be in the job. I loved him talking about the emotion he felt when he got it. And I love that he talks about the pressure of the job as energy instead of feeling like negative pressure. It's kind of motivating energy for him, which mm -hmm. I love. And, and that's a unique thing for a human to have. Like that's, that's the difference between a clutch player and someone who chokes, truthfully. When he said that he consciously pushes himself out of his comfort zone, 
I thought you were about to start asking him some really tough questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we hit him with some good stuff. The Kentucky series clearly is meaningful to him. He wants yeah. to make that happen. I liked what he said about, you know, the, I was always curious about the Alfred thing, you know, yeah. because clearly a friend and the friend wanted the job and he was in a position to impact that on some level. So I'm just curious how that all plays out, the, the Game of Thrones when it comes to IU coaching seats. And when you you hear, have a real conversation like that, and he's like, yeah, you know, it can be tough and it can be difficult. I think with all of these guys, with, with Coach Allen, we saw a lot of emotion when he's talking about telling his dad he was coming back home. You know, they're human beings and they've done really well and worked really hard to get into these positions. But um, they, they feel so much that we say, oh, we fans, we're crazy, we're hysterical, we get so emotional. And it's like those guys do too, but they have to be able to control it. Yeah, and, and to, hey, Right, right. You know, and it's like, well, I mean, there's uh, pros and cons on both sides of that. And I think it's a real testament that you cannot tell me that Scott Dolson isn't every bit the fan you and I are, but yet he's able to partition something into himself and be like, I can't access that while I'm making these decisions that are so crucial to the emotions of millions of people who really want to see these programs succeed. Because if I give into that hysteria, which it truly is long before we got here, then those decisions will be clouded and ones that maybe really sabotage the program in the long term. So God bless the fans who can sacrifice just being full-time idiots to make the program better for all of us. It is true because he probably doesn't get to enjoy it in the same way anymore. You know what I mean? Like he probably doesn't enjoy a win against Michigan State in the same way that we do because for us in that moment, it's everything. And for him, it's one tiny piece of the puzzle. I, I, I will tell you one thing that I thought was really informative was how much he is focused on recruiting. Yes. Like, I mean, every time we brought up basketball, you know, and football, but basketball specifically on how do you judge whether we're successful or not? How do you know if it's going in the right way? The first thing he said on what does success look like for basketball at Indiana was recruiting. That was the yeah. first thing. I think that's, that's a sign of the times. You know, I, I, I don't think that would have been the answer for an athletic director 20 years ago. I really don't. Though we didn't get clarification Clearly, that's about in-state, not just for basketball, but for all the sports. But I think we're all really excited about what Coach Miller and his staff have done in-state with Tom Crean. Probably a big part of that decision to let Coach Crean go was knowing within the state, the foundation had crumbled and washed into the sea. Yeah. And that, that, that was not ever going to be rebuilt and a big part of the reason, even though we're two years off of a, a Big Ten title and we had a rash of injuries this year, he's got to go because now it's only going to be about getting lucky with some OGs and figuring out how to get some big East Coast recruit to come in for a season or two. There's something promising there clearly with, with what this program has done over the last three seasons. And now we've done such a good job inside of the state and now we're to the getting old staying old part of the equation we're getting old yeah um if we can stay old and then now just start picking off you know 
I'm Mason Miller here, and Aminu Muhammad there. We'll be fine. We'll be and, great. And look, I think that Scott would say, he didn't articulate this, but I, I think that this is the thought process in this school of thought. If you are consistently winning the state of Indiana as the head coach of, of Indiana, and you are consistently getting most of the guys you want from the state, which Archie has done for four recruiting classes now, right? I, I always get confused. I know he's only been here three years, but I guess that first one really wasn't a recruiting class. No. Right. No. He, so he's had three. Three. Um, he, he has got the majority of the Indiana kids that he wants. I think the thought is that if you do that, you are going to do v- that. That's a great sign because there's so much talent in the state of Indiana. And if you do that consistently, the out-of-state thing will just fall into place because the level of talent that you are getting from the state of Indiana, if you're consistently winning, will send such a message and elevate the program to a certain level just on its own that the out-of-state piece will come together. Remains to be seen when it comes to, when it comes to Archie, but it certainly has been that way before. You know, so... I think we just got to wait and see there. I think that's what Scott would say, that, that, that that's why it, it has to start there. Whereas Tom Crean later on in his career was still getting some out-of-state guys, but losing Indiana. I don't, it, it doesn't work that, you know, out-of-state, if that's in good shape and in-state is bad, you can't last at Indiana. When you start to see the, the puzzle pieces come together of Scott having his vision in the way he presented it when he was interviewing for the job and how the vision of each of his coaches is such an important aspect to him. What's Coach Miller talking about at his very first press conference? We're putting a, a fence around the inside state. Out. We're going inside out. And you're like, great. When, when the AD and the head coach are really simpatico on priorities and how to get us back to that consistent place of winning, of being a top team in the Big Ten, which means you have a chance to make a run, uh, it's going to give us as good a shot as we could possibly have. I agree. I love him. He's our best friend. We got so many best friends now. It's kind of hard. It's going to be awkward, you know, when we go back and like Archie's like, come over for a barbecue. And like Tom's like, come for a swim in the pool. And Scott's like, hey, I want you to meet. Let's go get a Schwitz. (laughs) What if we got a Schwitz with Archie, Tom, and Scott? Just just the five of us, you know, (laughs) in like a bathhouse somewhere. As long as they allow smoking cigars, I think we could make it work. Oh my God. Can you imagine if we got together? A Schwitzerf. What are the chances that we smoke a cigar with one of those three people ever in our lifetime? I like our chances at one in three without knowing their cigar smoking habits. Who would you bet on? Scott. I wonder if he'll smoke a cigar. Interesting. I mean, this is the kind of burning question that the Hoosier fan base is dying to know, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is this is why we saved this part for last. All right, look, <laughs> let's do another one next week, all right? Okay. Follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics for the hysterics, no E, no I, but, but the, the sometimes, sometimes why. I was gonna go to something else, but I'll save it. Delete this part. Just get out after the sometimes why and then I'll say goodbye. But I'll do it on the intro when we do the intro on Monday. I'm definitely going to leave all that, and then it'll go straight into the song. <laughs> From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang on all the banner. Us two goofy guys.
guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.